The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Cancelled Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic for The Rap and Consequence. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. I write for Slash Film. Good. And, and that's it. Just Slash okay. Film these so days. maybe you'd say something of interest. After <laughs> well, the, you said the thing. We're getting to that part. Oh, I see. Yeah, this, this was just the dry introduction. We'll, yeah. we'll get to the, the very meat of the topic you in and a moment. I, you and I have literally recorded over a thousand podcasts together, and you know what we've never figured out how to do? Begin mm. one. Oh, I, just be more confident. <laughs> okay. Just say, say the usual dry introduction. Okay. And be confident about it. Okay. Uh, and in I'll fact, try that I'll, next time. I'll, I'll go to an Eddie Izzard bit because we're going to talk about an Eddie Izzard show. That's true. Uh, uh, she said that's only like like sixty percent is how you like how you look, how confident you are, mm-hmm. and the rest is just what you actually say, like the quality of your thoughts. No, I think it was more than that. It was, it was like, like ten, it was 10% like ten percent is like what you say and yeah. how you look and how you sound fills out the rest. Yeah, yeah I think and, that was closer uh, to the quote. Yeah, yeah. and so. Uh, just say nonsense confidently and people will follow you. Well, that is I, how I make my living. I, I can think of plenty of uh, confident people who spew nonsense. Boy, can we. <laughs> anyway, this is Cancel Too Soon. This is our podcast here on the critically acclaimed network where we review TV shows that failed. They lasted <laughs> one season or possibly less, often quite less. Uh, and uh, we we were in the middle of what we call our monthly event. And by monthly, I mean it lasts however long it needs to last. Um, called Suddenly Last Season, where we review television series that were very recently canceled. These were shows that were really hyped up not that long ago. Had a, sh- had a chance, had like a marketing budget. People had the opportunity to go see them. And the network or streaming service went, no. <laughs> what were we thinking? We're fools, I tell you, fools. And uh, this time on Suddenly Last Season, we're talking about uh, one of those, um, oh, it's a symbol, but I I don't have it anymore. Where did that go? Um, oh, aren't, what's you, it, aren't you precious? What's it called? It's some it's called- kind of... Some kind of a lost symbol. We're talking about the lost symbol. This is Robert Langdon. The suspect called him. I teach symbology. Did this person say what he wants? He wants me to locate an ancient portal buried within the capital. Did that mean something to you? Didn't until I saw that. It's your dad. It had his ring. Something was going on. The people who took him. Want me to find a piece of a very old puzzle. Rubbing your mouth? Like a runic variation. Smart people. It's upside down. I have something. Dad said that its secrecy was more valuable than his life. I'm coming with you. One veil is lifted. Only to reveal another. You were told to do it alone. 
He has my father. He has a literal assassin. And that's, that's what's going to take to get me to stop. Now, I know what you're thinking. I've got my snare drum. Where did I put my cymbal? Please stop. <laughs> this is our second Peacock show. That's true. Um, we, we also, they launched Peacock. Peacock is Universal's streaming service. Mm-hmm. I find it very strange that right now in the current media landscape, gigantic companies like Paramount and Universal, who have been around for a century, are kind of like the scrappy underdogs. Yeah. Where, you know, like, Warner Brothers is, like, totally stumbling over their own feet. And, mm-hmm. like, they have big audience. They have a small audience. They're doing good. They're doing bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, Disney is sort of, like, ruling the roost with, like, franchise entertainments. Yeah, they've got the... they've got the, Disney and Netflix are probably got the biggest lock on original content that people mm-hmm. actually care about. Yeah. By the way, I hate myself for using the word content. For the most original programming for there a streamer. Uh-huh. Uh, but, uh, yeah, like, a lot of the bigger networks which have these huge catalogs of classic films, uh, memorable intellectual properties that they can exploit for the future, are really just struggling to get by. And Peacock, uh, I, I've got Peacock. Mm-hmm. I, I have Peacock. I, we have it so that we can watch shows and movies and things for work. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's free, uh, but you only get like a, a portion of their their. Uh, well, no, I mean, I, I pay for it, but you still have to like. We, don't we pay for it? I think we pay for it, right? But we'd have to like we still have to watch some damn commercials. There's there's like a free version, then there's yeah. like the base version, and if you don't want the commercials, there's like a, a like a third tier, a premium <laughs> version. So yeah, if if I just want to watch, I I tried to watch it because it was the Halloween season. Mm. I decided to watch one of my favorite. Uh, uh, there was a there back when we wrote for Blumhouse.com. Back when Blumhouse oh, was, uh, had a yeah. separate uh, sort of publication, completely separate from their production company, uh, then they were trying to become like the new online Fangoria, and they had a mm-hmm. lot of critics, yourself, myself included, others yeah, as well. That, that's some good people over there, really us. And uh, uh, stop it. and uh, they there was a lot of really wonderful work, uh, little wonderful uh, retrospectives, and awesome cool stuff going on over there. And, and one of the series that they had was a very spooky episode. Okay. Which was all about shows that were not horror shows, at least not conventionally so, but which had one Halloween episode. Like oh, there was yeah, the yeah. one episode where there was a ghost, you know, or the one episode where there was a serial killer. Small wonder yeah. the robot got magnetized and metal things began floating through the air and people thought it was a ghost, but it was really just a magnet. Is that a real one? That's a real one. I don't remember that. Okay, that's cool. Well, I mean, Small Wonder is not really talked about except in a derisive fashion these days. Yeah, it was weird that that was even a hit show. Small Wonder is a show, it's a sitcom about a family where they invented a daughter robot Mm -hmm. and they just sort of locked her up in the closet when they didn't need a daughter around. Well, it was, they wanted her to pass as human for, Mm -hmm. like, this is our daughter, we've adopted her. But she spoke with like a robotic voice and was super yeah. strong and didn't have human emotions. It was a robot. Yeah. And they like kept her, yeah, like locked up, locked up in this yeah. like, kind of like they didn't tell anybody I invented a robot. Yeah. For some, I don't remember what the reason was that they. I think I think it was anybody. like patent pending or something. Yeah, maybe. But like, but like, yeah, they it, not very well thought out that show. I'll just say that right now. But in any case, so I remember reading about uh, this from a show I didn't used to watch. And I was like, that episode sounds amazing. And now I watch it every year. Uh, it is the Halloween episode of Quantum Leap. <laughs> the original Quantum Leap. You ever see the Halloween episode of Quantum Leap? I haven't seen any Quantum Leap. Okay, so Quantum Leap, there's a new series. Uh, if it doesn't last a se- more than a season, we'll review it. 
Uh, but Quantum Leap was a sci-fi series starring Scott Bakula as a guy who got trapped floating through time and he would wind up in the bodies of people from different eras in different places in the world. And he would have to fix something in the timeline in order to leave that body and find another body and hope one day he would eventually find his way back to his own body. Uh, in the Halloween episode, which is like the fifth episode of season three, somewhere around there, he fa- he wakes up in the body of basically Robert Block. Like a horror author. Like a horror author from the 1960s. Pretty schlocky. He wrote books like Skull Party. <laughs> uh, and uh, people are mysteriously dying all around him. They're like bitten by black mambas and like weird devilish goats are like kicking over ladders and killing handyman and uh, eventually he begins to suspect that Al the hologram played by Dean Stockwell who uh, uh, has been you know his sidekick this whole time mm. uh, there might be an evil Al <laughs> oh jeez but uh, and I'm gonna ruin this for you if you mm. skip ahead a few seconds if you don't know because this is the, the best part of the episode uh, at the end of the episode you find out that the uh uh, nerdy kid next door who was always like, hey, Mr. Man. He wasn't really Robert Block, but I'll say like, hey, Mr. Block, can I help you with like, create your Halloween spook house this year? Uh, at the end of it, he says, okay, bye, Stevie. Okay, then his mom picks him up and that was Stephen King. Oh, okay. And he thought... accidentally gave him ideas for future books. <laughs> oh, that's really cute. It's a fun episode. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so I was watching that, but it was because we have the Peacock with the commercials. There was like, six commercials before the thing even started mm. and i'm like why are we why are we paying for it's, this not just commercials like a couple of commercials i can live with a lot of commercials I, I was i was always baffled by this because this is a tradition uh, and we'll get to the lost symbol in a minute this but, is uh, important because we're talking about peacock and this is yeah, the, the uh, framework in which it was presented and one of the reasons why no one saw it because it was on peacock yeah, a, a streaming service like when you're paying for a subscription it seems to me that it's That's, paid for. They don't yeah. need to sell ad space. I don't on want ads. Uh, what am I? This is the reason why I pay for the little extra for Hulu. I'm like, I don't want the ads. Yeah, yeah. And but this is a tradition that goes back to cable TV. I didn't grow up with cable TV. I had ah. not, only network television in my house, and, and yeah. uh, so uh, again, if it was a hot cable show, didn't watch it. Uh, but it, it always baffled me because I would go to a friend's house and we'd watch cable TV. Their you know premium thing that their parents are paying a heck of a lot for. Mm-hmm. And there's, like, the commercial blocks are even larger on cable than they were on network TV. And I didn't understand why that was. Yeah. Like, why is it when there's more money involved, you get more ads? That didn't make any sense to me. Yeah, so you're paying for this whole block of basic cable programming, which is channels on top of the regular network channels, which were free over the air with your dog ears. Uh, rabbit ears, rabbit sorry. Ears. Uh, and, uh, but then there was the premium services, like HBO and Showtime, where you pay and then they don't show you any commercials. Mm. And we're just going right back to that. It's all yeah, a complete yeah. circle. All the streaming services are gradually turning back into network television and cable television again. It's, it's, why did we even bother? Well, the, the only difference is it's on demand. You can watch whenever you like. It's not scheduled true. television. That's true, and that's a good uh, thing. I, I'm not yeah. going to pretend that's that sucks. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, but in any so, case, Peacock is... Their, their offerings are not great. Uh, their back catalog is pretty good, but sometimes it's like weirdly unavailable. Yeah, and when, when, they show a lot of commercials, and... 
yeah, people just weren't that interested in their original programming. And there was like a news story a couple months ago where it was like, yeah, in the last quarter, Peacock added no new subscribers. It just held steady, which just, is which is which not is un- good, unheard of in this. Well, I mean, the whole idea is they want to keep on growing and keep on growing, and mm. I think this this is what a lot of the streaming services are butting up against. Yeah, they have as many as they're going to get. Yeah, it's like you can't. You know, no matter how much more money you pour into your original programming, you're going to get the same people watching it. Yeah, there's so, only so uh, many people in the world. Exactly. Yeah, I, at some is, point, you've just got the customers. I know this is something that uh, the the reason why uh, like Twitter is so horrible is mm. because they re- realized at some point that they have as many users as they're going to get. Mm. There, there's already billions of people on Twitter. They're not going to get any more. Yeah. Uh, so the only way they could you know keep the numbers high is to keep people engaged. Yeah. And the algorithms discovered the reason the best way to keep people engaged is to keep people angry. So yeah, yeah, all all of the things you see on Twitter that outrage you are there to keep you engaged. Mm -hmm. They're there to make sure you don't ignore it. So if you're angry when you're on Twitter, there's a reason. Yeah. It's been been designed that way. Is that where I'm Uh, angry? Is that why I'm angry at Peacock? Yes, exactly. What? No, uh, (laughs) Peacock, uh, they launched pretty good. Because yeah. they had the back catalog of Universal movies. Yeah, and they had a lot of classic Universal movies. Yeah, a lot of good they started, classic, too. Yeah, good. Especially, they had like, all of those old monster movies from the 30s and 40s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then all of those catalog titles they launched with suddenly just vanished after a little while. I, I didn't know why that and, was. And I, think, and I think the idea... Well, it's all a bandwidth issue, I'm sure. I, but yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, then they started you know, moving toward original programming. And one of their big launch titles was Brave New World. Mm. Uh Adaptation of the Aldous Huxley novel, not really accurate, but had a nice, you know, enough of the elements that it was recognizable. We did a whole episode and, uh, of yeah. that about a year ago on the previous Suddenly Last yeah. Season, and yeah. uh, and and a lot of sex. That was, was another a very thing. Sex filled show. It was. Show, wasn't it, was it? it was free, and you could just turn it on, and there was just nudity in the show. It's like this mm. is unheard of. Like wh- where where was this when I was a horny fourteen year old looking for nudity on television? Right, uh, and so. That one didn't really take off, and yeah. they and it was on... super expensive, so it yeah. wasn't worth it wasn't and, worth sticking with it. And they've kept on trying with things that might be recognizable. Right mm. now, they seem to be getting a little bit of success bringing back older shows like Punky Brewster. Mm. Uh, there's a new version of The Fresh Prince of Bel Air, just called Bel. It's like a soap opera version. I hear of that's it. really good. Yeah. I haven't watched that yet, though. Yeah. Uh, so those sort of like nostalgia programs are going yeah. okay, and this was their attempt to really launch a known. Uh, like franchise that was yeah. connected to like other things event programming yeah, yeah. and it's something that you know not everyone is into it but it's based on a series of best-selling novels it's based on a group on a group of very successful films mm-hmm. uh and uh kind of just when it, it, you know some some shows uh open with a splash some just go splish mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was the lost symbol the lost symbol is based on a novel by dan brown Dan okay. Brown is the author of, of uh, books like Angels and Demons. Mm. Uh, the big one was The Da Vinci Code. Everyone liked The Da Vinci Code. To this day, The Da Vinci Code uh, was published in 2003. Mm-hmm. To this day, you can go to a Goodwill and pick up four copies of The Da Vinci Code. Mm-hmm. On, in, on a book and a DVD. Yeah. <laughs> They're <laughs> just the everywhere. Too. The movie was huge. They got Ron Howard. They got Tom Hanks. They got Serene McKellen. Dan Brown's stories, if you've never read them or if you've never seen the movies, are uh, basically big treasure hunt films, not unlike National Treasure, Mm. uh, where uh, the bunch of people who are experts in things, history for the most part, symbology, religion, uh, secret cults, 
are tasked in the usually it's the protagonist Robert Landon uh, Robert Langdon Langdon sorry played by Tom Hanks in the in the movies uh, who's tasked with solving a series of mysteries and puzzles in order to find some long lost secret that has been hidden from humanity or the yeah, church or secret, whatever a treasure something like that yeah um, some, some really bad people are trying to find hmm. something ancient and powerful or a secret that could change the world forever and it's up to this dweeb from as a, as a, a professor of yeah. of symbology which yeah. is not a, a course i think they teach at harvard but probably uh, not but he knows a lot about symbols and uh, if you put him in a room with a whole bunch of symbols he could say oh yeah i can tell you where the secret who's a what's it's is mm-hmm. and then he does uh, i've actually never I, I started reading the da vinci code okay like at, in like a bookstore and it, it reads real quick which i can appreciate Good air, it's a good airplane novel. novel yeah. yeah, airplane novels. You know the type. They're they're pulpy. They they're usually very high concept, full, full of re- action, not a lot yeah. of thoughts. Yeah. yeah, you can finish them over the course of like a three hour plane ride, and you can just breeze right through those suckers. And there's there is nothing quite like a good airplane novel. This is not an insult. It's a descriptor. Yes. There's great airplane novels and there's crap airplane novels. And there's good movies of airplane novels. Wonderful uh, movies of airplane novels, whether they're literally based on an airplane novel or not. Mm. I, I know The uh, the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is mm. a good example. Yeah. Uh, th- those are airport novels for sure. They're really and, uh, thick, though, actually. I don't, they almost dis- are disqualified because of how long they are. Uh, well, but yeah. they, they made movies, uh, several movies of those books. And that first movie especially, it's like it has every like that sort of pulpy mm. tone and uh, intact, mm-hmm. but also is like really thrilling to watch. The first uh, one with Nomi Rapaz. With Nomi Rapaz, that is. Uh, yeah, I'm not a huge the, fan the of the David, David Fincher. Fincher was, is David not, Fincher not nearly as good. I don't think David Fincher realized he was making an airport novel. Like mm-hmm. he thought he was making like some like really intense, meaningful thing. Mm-hmm. And really, if you look at the original movie starring Nomi Rapaz, was her big breakout role. She's great in it. Should have been Oscar nominated. Um, it's an airport novel that happens to have good themes. Yeah. Like, interesting things on its mind. That's where airport novels live. Hmm. It's fun to do the fun stuff, and if there is something thoughtful, it's in the background not getting in your way. So, The Da Vinci Code was one of those gigantic smash hit. The movie was was a smash hit. Angels and Demons was a smash hit. Nobody saw Inferno. Yeah, I, I was like one of ten people who saw Inferno. Weird, um, just a sudden drop off. Like, say, still Tom Hanks, still Ron Howard diminishing directing. Diminishing returns, but, uh, I understand, but like Inferno, just like all of a sudden, just people stopped giving a well, shit immediately, and they just all decided at once we're not going to be interested in this franchise ever again. There was this sudden reckoning with Dan Brown. Mm. Like, people really loved The Da Vinci Code, and people initially, if and this is just anecdotally, mm. uh, thought there was something a little bit profound mm. going on with something it like The Da Vinci so Code. It seems so smart. Because it's, uh, the the movie The Da Vinci Code was about, the, the big secret, and, you know, if you don't know The Da Vinci Code, it's you know, one of the most popular yeah. things ever, but yeah. uh, it concerned the lineage, mm. like the actual lineage, actual, like, children of Jesus Christ. Yeah, the idea was that there were there were secrets mm. in the church and that they have been hiding this secret that Jesus Christ actually had children and that there are people alive on this planet who are Lord. descendants of Jesus Christ and the idea is that that would shake the church to its very foundations when in reality most people probably would go, "Huh, 
and then either not believe it or believe it and well, go about their day. Keep, keep, uh, I think it would cause some pretty major schisms in, in the church. And what role does that person play, the descendant of Christ? What if somebody claims to be a descendant of Christ? It's, mm-hmm. it, it, would, it would make things very, very messy. I, I think a I lot understand. Uh, the church itself would have to deal with some stuff. Yeah. If you could prove it. And that's the thing. A mm-hmm. lot of them would just put their fingers in their ears and go, mm-hmm. nope. That, that's I, not true. We believe in this. And exactly. Yeah, just, they, uh, a lot of people do that anyway. A lot, more, a lot more fractured. Religion, uh, politics, yeah. Their, their favorite superhero movies that just don't want to hear it. Yeah, the, uh, that, I, my, I'm saying that a lot of people just wouldn't want to hear it, and they go about their business and wouldn't change anything. Yeah. Uh, then Angels and Demons came out. It's a better film. Uh, that first yeah. movie is a mess. It's just it's so boring. It's really dull. It's it's, it's just it, it's, what it doesn't have is uh, it doesn't have a ticking clock yeah. element. There's a uh, Paul Bettany is sort of like a, a monk who's on. He's like a bad guy monk who is trying to keep the secrets of the Catholic Church, and he's on yeah. their trail. But there's no hurry to get to the next yeah. set piece. They go. To, they start off. There's a murder at the Louvre. Great start to a movie. And then they run off to somewhere else, and they do a bunch of speeches, and they solve a puzzle. And, and then they Sir wait. McKellen is and, there, and, 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 and then he has a speech. And then people go over here, and they have a speech. And it's very episodic. And that's not really a death knell for a movie, but if your movie is episodic, there needs to be something driving you from episode to episode in order for that to work. James Bond's like this as well. Like a lot of James Bond movies are just, okay, now we're in Venice for some reason. Why? We had a good idea for an action sequence in Venice, mm. but we need to have something driving you there. So, okay, so this is where we're going to stop the bomb from going off or yeah. whatever. The, the Da Vinci Code doesn't really have yeah. that, so it's actually pretty dull. Yeah, uh, Angels and Demons, there's a bomb. Yeah. They need to solve these mysteries before the bomb goes off. That, and meanwhile, that's... it's also like maybe like a conspiracy at the church mm. to elect the wrong pope, and no one knows who like yeah, so is trying to manipulate them in order it, to get themselves elected pope. And It's not smart, but at no. least it has the elements that keep thrillers moving. It's a fun... Uh, I enjoy watching that movie. That's a fun... To watch. Mm. It's not particular it because just because it's talking about important history things mm. doesn't mean it's an important history no, movie it's no, no. just uh, a fun here, silly thriller uh, dan brown is clearly a big fan of umberto echo if you ever yeah. read the book uh, Foucault's pendulum uh he, he's just cribbing pretty mm. much everything from Foucault's pendulum Foucault's pendulum kind of codified this type of thriller that we're mm. talking about with the lost symbol uh, in that it deals with a lot of ancient secret societies. Yeah. So there's a lot in Foucault's pen- Pendulum about the Knights Templar, about yeah. uh, the Rosicrucians, the Order of the Rosicrucians, a lot of these uh, ancient holy orders that uh, may or may not still exist. Sim- symbolism within uh, the Masonic temples. It-, it made it seem also very like mysterious, like it actually yeah. was a secret society. Yeah, secret societies and they know stuff you don't. Uh, secrets, uh, very briefly, secret societies were something that really cropped up heavily in the United States after the Civil War. Mm. Uh, There were a lot of... uh, I mean, a lot of them were based in racism, but a a lot of them were also based in, uh, uh, like, money and banking. And, you know, people who couldn't get bank accounts sort of formed these secret societies and uh, as a way of sort of mm. passing their cash onto one another and keeping it out of the hands of the government. Yeah. So, uh, and, and listen, some of this them are is, real. The, the Masons are a real organization. Mo- you can mo- join yeah. the Masons. Most of them are real. Yeah, the, uh, the really a Skull cool, and Bones is, yeah. a, is a famous uh, society. Is it Harvard or Princeton? Or the, one, one of those. It's, a, it's an Ivy League. It's a secret society at an Ivy League uh, uh, college. Uh, and uh, yeah, a lot of famous people all mm. came from this one particular like group of Ivy League students yeah, and like yeah. President one of the Bushes. I think both of the Bushes were in yes. it. Like uh, it's weird. Skull and Bones was the basis for that. Uh, 
episode of The Simpsons with the Stonecutters. Yeah. Which are, like, they're named after the Freemasons, but uh, yeah, this idea that, you know, they're controlling everything from the shadows. Like, who holds back the electric car? Who makes Steve Gutenberg a star? We uh, do. Yeah. Yeah. There's also the basis of a really shitty movie called The Skulls. <laughs> the Skulls is crap. I, I had never seen The Skulls. I was gonna, I, I actually... And there's three, I, of, three Skulls movies. The anniversary, like, the 20th anniversary of The Skulls was like, I was like, oh, well, I, could, I could write an anniversary article about this. Nobody cares about the movie The well, Skulls. Well, I, I, I thought I could, I would watch it and maybe there's something interesting about it. Maybe it's aged badly. Maybe it's aged well. Maybe there's something kind of funny about it. Maybe it, like, kind of whatever so i watched it and i'm like maybe i could write about this and it was so fucking terrible i did not want to write it i wrote about ballistic x versus sever recently <laughs> and you didn't want to write about and skulls. i didn't want to write about the skulls that movie yeah. stinks but uh the idea being dan brown is sort of keying into all of this it was sort of floating around in the consciousness anyway uh, Foucault's Pendulum was published in like 1983, so it had been around for a mm. while. Uh, and yeah, he, he sort of writes these fun, uh, has some real life symbolism in, mm. in it, but mostly just hooey. And listen, and he's got uh, there's, he's got a little bit of Raiders of the Lost Ark in there yeah, as the, well. Uh, I mean, like I, the, I there are precedents even to that. I looked up the book of the Lost Symbol, and. There's a scene in the book. Mm. I, I didn't read it. I just read a synopsis. Okay, but so there, we're just going off. There, of what we, there's a what scene. Read. There's a scene in the book where I wish they put this in the TV series, mm. where uh, the bad guy yeah. uh, Zachary has the drop on Robert Langdon and locks him in a sensory deprivation tank and fills it with water, and it fills with water and he drowns. But he doesn't drown because what. Uh, Zachary did not know was that he wasn't filling it with water, but with that breathable fluid from the abyss. Oh, the amniotic fluid. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like this oxygenated liquid. He didn't so, know he was doing that. Like I, I don't know how you how can mistake you... those two things. It's like, oh my god, I, for, I I left the amniotic fluid right next to the to so, the water. How did I? So that, who, who mislabeled these? That's the level of intelligence we're dealing with. It's not so <laughs> oh much god. about uh, you know symbolism and ideas yeah. about sort of the, the true history of this nation. It's it's more about like thriller schlock. Yeah. And listen, I don't have a problem with that. I just want to make that abundantly no, clear. This is I'm actually watching the show The Lost Symbol. Uh -huh. And again, I had a mixed bag experience. I didn't see Inferno, didn't care for the Da Vinci Code, enjoyed Angels and Demons for what it was. Yeah. So this I had like I was just I had no idea what am I getting into like a really boring thing that like doesn't understand the thriller elements and just goes overboard on being really didactic about conspiracy theories of history, or are we going to get a fun national treasure thriller? Mm. And when they do Dan Brown like it's a national treasure movie, mm. I'm in. Yeah, yeah. The uh, There's the, some really fun stuff in this show, and it starts off really strong, I think. Yeah, the, the first episode... Um, Robert Langdon, he's teaching, mm -hmm. and he's uh, he's giving the same speech at the beginning of The Lost Symbol that he gave uh, at the beginning of The Da Vinci Code, this yeah. sort of uh, uh, idea about how symbols operate and what they tend to mean and how they're just sort of passed from generation to generation and their meaning changes. Uh, and uh, the mystery kicks off when uh, his uh, mentor, mm -hmm. played by Eddie Izzard, yeah. Eddie Izzard is... I think she'd agree with me. Not the greatest actor. You know, when Eddie Izzard is well cast, uh -huh. they're 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 excellent. Yeah. But and I and I get it because they cast Eddie Izzard as Robert Langdon's mentor. And yeah. Robert Langdon, you know, his mentor would know a lot about history and things. And a lot of Eddie Izzard's more memorable 
uh, uh, stand-up work mm. has been about history. They have a uh, wonderful European history. I, yeah. I, I, I live in Europe, where the history comes from. Yeah, yeah. Look, look, uh, watch. Uh, is it? It's dressed to kill or dressed to kill? Uh, dress, dress to kill. Yeah. Dr- no, because like one of them is the Brian De Palma movie. One of them is the Eddie Izzard. And Eddie Izzard is dress to kill. Just, say, just yeah. not, not past tense. Okay. Yeah. That's one of the greatest stand-up specials of all time. It's it's really great. That one and Glorious are both pretty. They're great. They're both really really great. I, I I like several of 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 her specials. They're really excellent. Mm-hmm. Dress to Kill is an all timer. It's one of the all time greatest comedy specials of all time. Mm-hmm. Almost every single bit in it is memorable and funny, except for the weird kind of not very funny bit about San Francisco that they usually cut out. Well, here's <laughs> just the talking about trolleys she, and. Uh, it's clearly just like documentary footage, yeah. and and Eddie was like improvising stuff over yeah. it. And uh, the way she says Alcatraz, I like, is, I like is, that. Is, is something we've picked up, and in fact, we uh, re- did a show on Kale too soon called Alcatraz, and we said it that way every time. That's so, true. That's memorable, yeah. but that whole bit and the whole the only other bit about San Francisco that she did that was kind of funny mm. was where she talked about that movie, The Fog, didn't have this much fog. <laughs> But in any case, Eddie Izzard has done a whole lot of stand-up comedy about history and... Uh, uh, mm-hmm. the History of religion and yeah. European history and Stonehenge yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. And so casting them as in a, a Robert Langdon story actually makes a lot of sense. Mm. It's, actually, it's actually kind of funny. And there is a bit in episode like three or four where we see a flashback to Eddie Izzard. Sorry, someone's running pipes. So you might probably hear that. Uh, but uh, Eddie Izzard is giving a speech in this show... About Stonehenge. <laughs> and if you recall from Dress to Kill, one of the biggest henges the great, in the world. Greatest henges in the world. Um, yes, no one's built a henge like it so, since. Anyway, uh, my point is she doesn't give a very good performance in this show. No, no. It's, it's asking her <laughs> the, to be a... Because uh, she's, she's basically uh, the straight person. Yeah. She's basically just like, yeah, and I'm just going to be super serious mm. and I'm going to be here for you to talk about your problems and occasionally I'll talk about history. And I'm like, you need Eddie Izzard to give you a little bit more yeah, than and, that. And, and uh, she, she plays a, a cis man. Uh, yeah. And the way they dress this character is very unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, They're really, really... Mm. A, a ponytail that yeah, I do I not believe. The ponytail is just. I, I we keep have to, expecting we have to mention the ponytail. You keep expecting Eddie Izzard to like walk into a room wearing this ponytail and, pull, and then just it pull it off and, and like hang it up on it a on coat a, rack. Yeah, yeah and it's it reattaches so it. So unconvincing. I don't know whose uh, idea that was. But anyway, it was the show kicks off with uh, the, uh, Eddie Izzard's. What's the character's name? Um, oh, Sam, Peter Solomon. Peter. Peter Solomon. Peter yes. Solomon's hand. Has been severed, yeah, and left in a, a building like with tattoos left on its fingertips and arranged to be pointing at the ceiling. Yes, you got me. Okay, yeah. there's a, a, a great a severed hand. Severed it's been hand. tattooed, yeah. full of clues. It's on top of clues, like and it's left inside like this. Really, I forget what building it is, but it's like some really famous building it, in, in Washington, Washington D.C. Yeah, the most of the series yeah. takes place in Washington D.C. And, and Robert Langdon had just been informed that uh, Peter Solomon had asked him to come in and give an impromptu lecture to his class mm. and since they're good friends he had just you know immediately gone up and gone to do it and instead he sees the severed hand mm. the cops show up a security guard uh, uh, shows up his name uh, played by a, uh, sorry it's a police officer but he's working for the Capitol uh, Nunez is the yeah. character's name uh, played by Rick Gonzalez really fun actor I like Rick Gonzalez he's, he's, um, he's the human character yeah he's in this show like, he's, he's the, the guy who has no one. idea what's going on but is up to any challenge which I oh. appreciate um and uh, yeah, and then we have a CIA uh, agent, uh, uh, Sato, played by Suma Lee Montano, 
uh, who no, he, we don't know yet why the CIA is suddenly involved and not just, you know, the cops. And yeah, Robert Langdon is basically there. He's like, okay, I can, I'm, I'm, I'm a witness. Something criminal has happened. I received a mysterious phone call basically telling me solve clues. And so I'm sitting here and I'm just sort of looking around the room and I'm solving clues and here we go and that finger is pointed to there and that's an important symbol because that means this and that means that this painting over here is that thing if i twist if i twist this stone a secret entrance opens up and i go in a catacomb underneath there's they go to the to the goddamn basement of this building and this is a currently in use building Mm. full of people and, it's not and yeah these catacombs have not been seen in like many many years they've they open a door and there's a secret thing in the door. It's like it's right out of uh, Young Frankenstein. Put the candle back. There's a, they they need to find like the key, but they don't have the key, and it's like an ancient thing. And uh, Robert Langdon looks at the the wall sconce, like the yeah. little. Of course, it's well lit. There's like torches in the secret <laughs> passageway. <laughs> Uh, uh, Mystery Science Theater Joe. Oh, it's a nice, well-lit secret passageway. Well, it's secret, but they didn't want to go over the top. Use Uh, the handrails. I invented them for a reason. (laughs) And he he looked at this lit wall sconce. He's like, you know, that sconce is a thingy with a thingy, and it means there's other stuff. And he pulls, like, something out of the wall sconce, and wouldn't you know it, it's the key. Yeah. That kind of shit is wonderful. It's wonderful. (laughs) And then they open it up, and then... And I do like that they keep going back to this, because this is something I don't really remember much from the movies. I think it was in there, where Robert Langdon is claustrophobic. And this actually creates a... a, And what I like about Robert Langdon is that he's very smart and he's very willing, but he's not an action hero. No, he's not an adventurer. No, he's a nerd, and that's good. I want that. That that makes him a more interesting protagonist because he's he's actually out of his element a lot of the Mm. time. So here, just going through a narrow hallway is a lot for him. Yeah. And he met, he and Nunez and Sato, they go down into this catacomb. And then well, it's it's so- not, not Sato at that point. Is it's, it Sato? Um, I thought it was Sato at that point. It's, it's uh, Kate at that point, I no, think. No, 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 Kate isn't there at the, early on. It's, it's, I think it was Kate. Uh, there, okay. There's another character. Um, yeah, Peter Solomon's daughter. Peter Solomon has has a son and a daughter. Mm-hmm. And uh, those those are sort of like the main characters of this. So uh, yeah. the, the main cast is Robert Langdon. Mm-hmm. We have Peter Solomon. We have Peter Solomon's son and daughter. Mm-hmm. We have the CIA uh, cop. And we have the beat cop. Yeah. Uh, the daughter is, is Catherine. She's played by Valerie Curry. Uh, his son is played by Keenan Joliffe. And he has mysteriously disappeared. And they won't explain what happened to him for a while. Um, but yeah, they go down into this catacomb, they solve some more fucking puzzles, and then they find out that there's a secret, like... They should have just called the show some fucking puzzles. <laughs> Great. Uh, there's, I, I was watching the sequence, and there's a, there's a, there's a bit in Avatar The Last Airbender, there's an episode, where they have to go through, they're like, oh, how do we get through all of this horrible, like, giant mountain and everything? Oh, this will take us forever. And then it turns out there's a secret tunnel. Okay. And they run into some wandering minstrels. And the minstrels tell them about this secret tunnel. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, that's that's uh, that's the famous secret tunnel uh, that the two lovers famously used to meet in, in the old stories. And then we wrote a song about it. It goes like this. Secret tunnel! Secret tunnel! And then I forget the next bit. And die! <laughs> so anytime I'm watching the secret tunnel bit, that's all I can hear. <laughs> um... So they go to the secret tunnel, they they find this mysterious, like, most of a pyramid, and they it's, pull yeah, it out, it's, it's a, covered in symbols. It's a pyramid capstone, yeah. but the pyramid capstone itself also has yeah. a capstone, which is currently missing. Yeah, and then, all of a sudden, they hear something, and Robin Langdon's like, did you put the, the, the sconce back? 
And the guy's like, I may have put the sconce back. Yes. And that's when the walls start closing in on oh. them. Because, you know, in like the basement underneath, I'm trying to remember where it was, like the, the Museum of, of History it's in not, Washington, D.C. I, I think it might have been the Smithsonian. Yeah, yeah, it's like underneath the Smithsonian, they have death traps. Mm. You know, good old fashioned death traps. Uh, and all of that's great. And when they yeah. and when they pull out and they go, because we need, uh, these sorts of movies need to modulate. Yeah. Uh, Indiana Jones is more action, I think, uh, yeah. to, to sort of really strengthen it up. You need the, the mo- like there's a scene at the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark where he explains what the Ark is, gives yeah. some mysticism and you know, some actual yeah. mystery to the, the objects they're seeking. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that's, and then show, after yeah. that, it just flies. Yeah, and a show like this, I like that there's an action sequence and... What I wish there were more of were mm. those complete nonsense discussions about symbolism and masonry and like yeah. what all of this stuff really means and you know relating to actual history and oh I think they actually got the balance really good because I think if you have too much of that uh-huh. it just feels like a lecture with occasional breaks for running around. I mean, I, I that was the problem with the Da Vinci Code. Yeah, I, I, thought, so. I thought uh, I thought the balance was off there. So here I thought I, for the mo- the second half of the show, uh-huh. I think. Falls apart pacing wise, but I think like, the first five or six episodes are pretty breathless and fun. I I feel like they're embarrassed, like th- the scenes where they're giving the exposition. I feel like they're embarrassed to have them, mm. uh, like because they're speaking so quickly and throwing so much information at us so fast. Mm. I feel like it was they were getting impatient, I, like they just wanted to get to the next chase. I wonder if that's the case, or and here's my other theory: mm. they know you're watching at home, mm-hmm. not in a theater. Yeah, they know that if they speak too slowly. You're going to start to Google this shit. <laughs> and you're going to know that the whole thing... So if they say it fast enough and yeah. then they move on, you just sort of accept, like, they know what they're talking about. Yeah, just, but if you say it slow enough, like you do in the Da Vinci Code, you're just going to go, well, instead of, like, just waiting for Ian McKellen to get to the fucking point, I can Google The Last Supper and, oh, that is stupid. Mm. You know, I <laughs> just don't want to... You don't want to move well, on from why, that. Why is he gesturing at James the Lesser? Yeah, like... Yeah, oh, my God. I never really thought about that before because mm. it's not important. And then there we go. <laughs> <laughs> they, they had a, a, a spoof of this on uh, Futurama oh, like, yeah. when the Da Vinci Code was new. They actually got, don't ask how, but they actually got The Last Supper like mm. in, in their building. It's like, well, let's x-ray it. And it turns out, wait a minute, those those table legs aren't, aren't table legs. Those are wooden human legs. It turns out Da Vinci built like a human automaton. Oh, okay. And they found it and activated it. And it took, uh, took them to another planet where Da Vinci had escaped to and was still alive a thousand years later. And... Yeah, it was all... That's pretty fun. Pretty ridiculous. There was a pretty good South Park episode that had a Da Vinci Code where it was... um, uh, The kids were like, hey... Why is Easter ostensibly a Christian holiday? But it, how did it become about rabbits and chocolate? Mm. And there's a whole Da Vinci Code uh, uh, like scheme <laughs> behind it. And I love the bit that I love in it is when they do the Ian McKellen scene where it's like, look close, look, look at the Last Supper. Now look closer. Now look closer. Mm. And then it's, they show you all the details and they tell you it's all oh, you missed all the details. But in the South Park one, and it's just a little thing, but it always makes you laugh. Look closely. Now, look closelier. <laughs> and I don't know why. Closelier is a funny word. Like we should be closelier. using closelier more often. <laughs> anyway, so there's this whole there's a whole thing, and they find a thing, and then uh, it turns out that uh, Eddie Izzard has been kidnapped by a mysterious figure named Malak. And mm. Malak is covered in cool-looking tattoos. Yeah, covered He's, with symbols. Covered with symbols, and that they, they're trying to discover, we found this out very quickly, a hidden secret uh, that has been kept away from you know the, the world 
by the Masonic Temple because, and we're going to find, and, and you know what, I'm just going to get you there because it, well, there's the, no, no much the, point the to The way it. to sum this up is to look at the villain's scheme because that's yeah. where all of the, the action stems from. Yeah, so the villain wants Robert Langdon to solve all of these clues so that he can find a hidden secret protected by the Masonic Temple and we're going to find this out gradually over the show but there's no sense in dragging it out. He believes that the temple has been hiding some kind of magic power it's some it's kind a, of it's a portal sec- it's yeah. it's a, a godly portal yeah that when entered uh-huh. will essentially give you the knowledge of god it will yeah. make you like omniscient there's a there's one bit in the in the thing where they find old uh, an old film reel from like the 1920s and mm-hmm. of course it immediately burns up because it's nitrate and I know why. I don't know why Langdon doesn't know about nitrate film. But anyway, um, he's a symbologist. <laughs> you know, it'd be great. He knows if, everything else. It'd be great if he knew like uh, like nitrate uh, Kodak edge codes. Ooh. Uh, if if you look at old film, if you look at film strips, they tend to have information about where they were printed and when. Uh, Printed along the very edge well, of the film. There strip. is a bit where he does look at symbology in film strips in this in this very show. But not, mm-hmm. like, from the Kodak. No, wow. granted, but still. Uh, and uh, they see this, like, old, and it's old enough that it, it seems really hard to fake, considering mm-hmm. v- what visual effects were, of a guy, like, on top of a mountain, and he's, like, controlling a flock of birds. Yeah. Like, with his, like, with his mind, basically. And that is not conclusive at all, no. but it's kind of oh. neat, and it makes you think, like, okay, so that's what the bad guy wants to do. Mm-hmm. He wants to control a flock of birds with his mind, and that will help him do yeah, I, things. You, you know what? You could if you could control like bird strikes, you could bring down planes. <laughs> Sucks with the birds though. You're gonna run out of birds at that rate. Um, just wait long enough. Let them okay. have more eggs. If you're controlling the birds, you can have them mate more. <laughs> Save endangered species. Uh, you know, heck, maybe yeah. just maybe it's just an Autobahn Society member. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, his, so this is what he, his plan. Um, not only is Malak uh, trying to find all of these symbols, you know, he's like tattooed with all of these yeah. symbols. So he's, he's really a badass really, fighter. He's a, and he yeah. can, like, when there's he's a part a, of the, he had, the, he's like has kind of super. They're not supernatural, but he has like meditation power. There's a scene in the mo- in that movie in the show mm-hmm. where he's shot. Shot in the back. He yeah. shot in the back and apparently didn't hit anything severe because he's able to run away. And then we see him meditate and do these like really intense breathing exercises. And I know there's a name for it, but basically it's what like Ed Norton was doing in the Incredible Hulk movie, like yeah. for like <laughs> and um, doing these intense breathing exercises. And then gradually the bullet gets pushed out of his body. Yeah, he can like expel the bullet from yeah. his body, and and the the wounds like kind of heals quickly. Yeah, so That's he, a, so he can control control yeah. his body. And this is there are some. Not very well documented studies about mm. people's bodies uh, mm. altering themselves. Well, you, uh, we have some, we have some control over our bodies, mm. and the theory goes that we could potentially control more aspects of our bodies. Yeah. This was actually a plot point in the Daredevil TV series, where the mm. idea was Daredevil takes a lot of physical punishment. Yeah, like he's not Wolverine. Like how do we how do we explain the fact that he got like fell off a building and got the shit kicked out of him and then like the next day he's got to walk around like nothing happened and the idea is he trained with people who do these meditative techniques and he is able to control his pain and heal faster okay. than normal through science <laughs> it's, it's it's magic it's, 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 they're, they're using it like it's magic if there's reality to it the show is using it like it's magic there's uh uh 
a hypnosis technique I've actually seen huh. where um, someone will hold out their hand, the hypnotist will put a coin on their hand, and then they'll hypnotize their subject. Oh, yeah. yeah and they'll say, you know, the coin on your hand is heating up. In fact, it's burning your hand, but you can't move. Yeah. So you're just going to, it's just burning you, and it, it, you're not feeling any pain, but it is burning you. Mm-hmm. And he'll take the coin off, and there will be a little burn mm-hmm. mark. Like yeah. the, the mind burned the hand. Yeah, your mind is, uh, your mind is weirdly powerful. Mm-hmm. And, and I actually, one thing I like about this is uh, Langdon, for a guy who studies history and the history of symbology, and a lot of which is, Religious. Mm. Uh, he's not a believer in anything. He's, he's a total skeptic. He's yeah. a total skeptic. He's very secular. And his girlfriend, uh, or ex-girlfriend for most of it, uh, is Catherine, Kate Solomon, Eddie Izzard's daughter, um, they're broken up at the beginning, but we see in flashbacks that they were together for a while. And over the course of the series, they'll, they'll get closer together again. She is literally studying what most people would call pseudoscience mm. and trying to see if there is any validity to stuff like, uh, you know, people healing themselves with their minds or uh, using uh, uh, melodic tones in order to potentially heal various forms of cancer. Uh, things that you've probably read about yeah, but have yeah. never seen anything particularly uh, scientifically conclusive about and she's trying to she so she wants to believe in all this mm. stuff she, to the extent th- that there's a scene in the in the episode where she doesn't know where her father is and she just says fuck it i'm gonna get one of those psychics the fbi use because that's real and then they get one and the guy's just like hey yeah i uh i'm the guy who found the titanic they cut me out of the movie and i like <laughs> i like that gag that's funny i like that james cameron knew about that and he was like that's one took over the line the audience can, won't like put that. that in the movie yeah um and that was real by the way yeah. they, they hire like psychics to find the, the, that has the, happened. the titanic that's, um yeah and all everybody, uh, it's essentially an X Files thing. Uh, yeah. He's Mulder, she's Scully, and yeah. um, no, she's Mulder, he's Scully, because she believes and he doesn't. Oh, the, there you go. Just, yeah, just strike that reverse. I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, just uh, it, it, there's that X Files dynamic, uh, and all of the like the whole sort of tonal thing and a lot of the pseudoscience does go back to uh, a part of the villain scheme. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eddie Izzard is a thirty third degree. Uh, uh, Mason. About as high as you can get. Yeah. The, the, the secrets have been revealed yeah. to him. Yeah. Whatever the Masonic Temple has been keeping secret, whether mm. it's the secrets of the universe or just the best place to get a keg, he knows. Mm. Yeah. All this, this, of it. This, so Solomon has like the inside track. Yeah. And Solomon is also a believer, uh, yeah. which, which is hilarious when you've heard Eddie Izzard stand up because <laughs> she that's... is most decidedly not. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah. on paper, it's great casting. Yeah, yeah, on paper and, and, it's brilliant. And there's, and there's actually yeah. a really great speech at the end, which actually is like sort of a blending of of Eddie and the Solomon characters' yeah. like philosophies. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Solomon is also not just a not just a Mason, but also a member of this other secret society, a secret society within the secret society called simply Leviathan. And Leviathan mm-hmm. is yeah, like up to even wickeder stuff. Well, and they they, they're, they, they're they like, seem to be. And Initially, are, yeah. well, the idea is that within the Leviathan group is the group that actually understands that the Masonic Temple exists to keep this magical power secret, and they will do anything, no matter how evil it looks, to protect it because humanity isn't ready and it mm. might fall into the wrong hands. Yeah, so, uh, to the extent that there's a bit where, like, 
Langdon and Kate go to like a, a mausoleum to try to see if there's any sort of clues in there for some sort of thing. We're not going to walk you through every clue. They're all BS. <laughs> it's just, they go somewhere weird. There are clues. Langdon remembers something. Dan Brown read in a book once. And then we move on. Yeah. And then, and it's all fun. I'm not complaining <laughs> about any of that. Dan Brown read in a book once. Well, he did, I, I, I like to think he probably was a little better researched than that. Uh, but he yeah. read it somewhere. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm just saying, he read it somewhere. He didn't make it up a lot of this stuff. I'm actually giving him credit for doing the research. Uh, that's where the fun comes in, honestly, is the idea that, well, it's on some level, this probably makes sense, and I'm going to have to take yeah, your that, word for it, because I am not going to research it. That that was the prom- uh, the premise of that new film, The Lost City, with Sandra Bullock, oh, where okay. she uh, she was actually a ri- like an archaeology writer. She wrote mm. these like uh, 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 pa- like papers and essays about the real archaeology, and nobody uh-huh. was buying them. Uh, so on the side, to make a little extra money, she made these adventure novels, mm-hmm. but was working in real archaeology. Yeah, that's, Because that's, that's what she was interested See, that's in. that's fun. And the plot of the movie is some, like, rich asshole. Uh, says, Realizes she's I, doing I, Those this. are all real clues in your romance novels, so yeah. I need you to help me find I didn't treasure. see that movie. It's a fun premise. Uh, my fun fr- pre- not great, but yeah. It's my a fun favorite premise. one of those is Vibes. <laughs> vibes is absurd, but yeah. Vibes is great. Vibes stars Jeff Goldblum and Cindy Lauper. One of her only leading acting gigs. Yeah. Uh, and she's great in it, by the way. Uh, they are psychics. She has a like a spirit guide who can like tell her things he's not supposed to know or, or just do other magical stuff. And he's a psychometrist, which means he's someone who can touch an object and tell you where it's been. Hmm. Tell you everything about it. Uh, and they are uh, enlisted by Peter Falk to help him find a mysterious ancient magical pyramid treasure and Julian Sands is incorporate has enlisted other psychics to help him find it first and it's a hoot and i highly recommend it it's it's a little culty you know it's not like Super classy, but it's fun. I think you'll really, really like it. Anyway, uh, but yeah, so they go to this mausoleum. They're going to find some clues, and they run into this priest. And the priest is just like, "Oh, hey, welcome to the to the to the graveyard where we do all of our priest grave stuff." And they're like, "Hi, are you important?" And the guy's like, "I will be in a minute." And they go, "Great, we're going to check out that mausoleum." And they go to the mausoleum, and then the door closes to the mausoleum, and then like the priest shows up in a gas mask and throws a gas grenade at oh, them, right, right, right. and it's like that's the Leviathan group. They're willing to at a moment notice if someone enters a mausoleum while being slightly acu- uh, like off kilter in conversation a minute beforehand you gotta die because you might find and by the way the mausoleum is like stage five of an 80 stage point and click adventure quest <laughs> you're not even close to the end of that fucking thing yeah, and they're yeah. already ready to kill you because you've gotten too far already um Anyway, they're, they're, that's the whole shtick. Uh, Eddie Izzard has been kidnapped by Malak, and we see this extended sequence over multiple episodes of him trying to escape. And then they do this cutesy thing where like he escapes, but then he realizes he never left because he was never like locked up where he thought he was. He's been in an isolation tank the entire time, which is a uh, fucking cop-out. Yeah. The, 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 that's I, such a cop-out. The, the, the isolation tank, like that, mm. it's early in the series. It's like, yeah. okay, the, this is maybe a little too stupid. Well, it's padding is what yeah. it is. It's, uh, it's keeping him alive in the story yeah, it's, while acknowledging that he has nothing to do for three episodes. Yeah, it's 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 padding. Uh, there's an episode near the end, and uh, I complained about this when we did Cowboy Bebop. Mm. There's a, a big chunk of Cowboy Bebop that's devoted to backstory. Yeah. It's a flashback before the event, the main events of the series. Like the second to last and, uh, episode is just a one giant flashback episode. Yeah, yeah and 
And that's, it's death. First it's of boring. all, we don't know the character well enough yet for you to get away with a flashback episode that early in your show. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to wait a couple seasons before you start doing that because mm. by Unless then... Unless that's your whole premise yeah, and you've been doing it all along. I, I suppose, like, yeah, yeah, Lost Man. Well, but uh, even that, Lost kind of drove me nuts because it's like... Yeah, but you're, a lot of people really did. A lot, it worked for a lot of people, to be fair. I, I, to be fair... I'll, lost, made, se- lost made it their thing. Several people watched that program. <laughs> and um, Yes! It was uh, a it was a small cult hit. Lost, small, yeah. It, it <laughs> lasted at least ten episodes, and um, <laughs> uh, but they do that in the Lost Symbol as well, where there's going to be a whole episode where we get to see Malak's backstory, yeah, and the time he spent in a Turkish prison with his guru. It's like yeah. stop, yeah. We we have a bad guy already. Here's the thing about a bad guy. We don't want to sympathize with them no. they're much more dramatically exciting a lot of the time mm-hmm. if we only have their base motivation and their villainy and then the like actor a, hopefully brings a little bit of nuance to exactly, that yeah. so uh, that we, we we get a good sense of them and, we don't, uh, we don't need I'm we don't need to know of, everything uh, about Belloc from Raiders of the Lost Ark exactly we yeah, do we, not need a giant flashback we, telling us how we got Belloc Belloc know, is fully formed we know who Belloc is yeah uh, and, and um, what's his name Freeman uh, oh um, not Martin Freeman no um, not Martin I almost did that too yeah, uh, I'll look it up hang on it's gonna drive me nuts that actor is very good and he brought a, yeah. brought a lot to uh, to Belloc um I've, I'm thinking here about uh, one of the great villains, Iago, from oh, yeah. Shakespeare's Othello. He refuses um, to tell us why he's doing anything like, he's doing. Like, uh, there, there's a couple speeches... Paul Freeman. Where Paul Freeman, thank you. Um, yeah. Uh, there's a couple speeches Iago, get, Iago gives about how he's jealous. Mm-hmm. I hate the more I'm jealous of him. But that doesn't hold steady mm-hmm. throughout the rest of Othello. And he never really says yeah. what, why. He just says mm-hmm. he does. I, I saw yeah. uh, uh, the BBC version of Othello that was in the 80s. Uh, mm-hmm. Bob Hoskins played Iago in that Ooh, version. Ooh, that's good and, casting. Uh, and, I like and, that. And Anthony Hopkins played Othello. But, uh, oh, no. No. Yeah, I, know, I know. I know. Oh, that's awful. <laughs> <laughs> oh. but, but Bob Hoskins was excellent. I'll bet he and, was. And the, there's this, the way he Christ. played, there's the scene at the end where they bring in Iago to look at the bodies. Yeah. It's like, this is what you've wrought. And Bob Hoskins, uh, rather brilliantly, just started laughing. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> like, 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 not that he cracked, just like... <laughs> Wow! Like I it, did it. Uh, it kind of worked, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. Like it's like he didn't even expect it to work. Uh, you know, yeah. such a great, I, great. I, bit, honestly, bit I thought it was. I thought it was rather obvious and ham fisted. I'm amazed they fell from my stupid mm. bullshit. The thing about uh, Iago is, if we did get like a mm. really clear motivation from him, I think it would rob him of that sort of uh, dramatic immediacy of the character. Yeah. Uh, just having having him do wretched acts mm-hmm. and reveling in them is yeah. going to be a lot more uh, satisfying for an audience. Yeah. Than getting all of this explanation. Well, and here's the thing with with the character of Malak. Mm. Uh, you know, he's pretty mysterious. You know, he's he's certainly like an expert in things that uh, Eddie Izzard is in to and uh, he's very physically imposing and all that kind of stuff and I'm watching this and I'm saying to myself from episode 2 mm-hmm. that's Eddie Izzard's son isn't it? It, it is. It's, and it's it is. Solomon's that's, son. Yeah uh, the whole on the whole thing we find this up pretty quick halfway through the season it's very very clear and they solidify it like one episode later um, but yeah and that so it's a twist but it's in the midway through the season and the whole thing is he went to uh, he got in legal trouble in I think Turkey or somewhere it was in Turkey. It was in Turkey. And he was thrown in jail. And Eddie Izzard, who's rich, had an opportunity to 
basically buy his way out. And instead of doing that, he said, well, this will learn him some humility. It's a Turkish prison. Haven't well, you it, seen it, movies? Like, you'd think you'd be a little the, bit more concerned. There's a joke about it in the movie Airplane, for, for goodness God's sake. God's sake. Like, it's not a great place to be. Prison is a bad place to be anyway. But, like, yeah, he's... The, he, uh... so, like, so, the idea is he allegedly died in prison. But in actuality, he got beaten up so bad he was beyond recognition he ended up getting complete facial reconstruction surgery and then covered his body in tattoos anyway and he decided to commit himself to his father's obsession and basically breaking everything his father was trying to protect and trying to steal that power for himself and kill everyone and everything yeah. and it's all bad and that, that's enough I don't need any more than that mm -hmm. and, the mo and the thing is is that I don't know how the book is structured. Uh, what I do well, know, me... what I do know, is that the second half of this series feels like two episodes padded out to five episodes. Yeah, really, because they have that whole flashback in the mm -hmm. Turkish prison. Yeah. Uh, here, here's what I think they did that because it does go to what was in the book. In the book, mm -hmm. Zachary uh, Malak, his, yeah. his, his name is Zachary. Yeah. Uh, which. Zachary is like the name of a nine-year-old. <laughs> like, it's yeah. uh, it's galling that we have this adult villain character named Zachary. Uh, I, I don't know what you have against the name Zachary. It's, it's like they're, Zachary they're, Quinto doesn't do it for you. Uh, like I, he's a, I suppose not. Okay. But uh, uh, Zachary goes to this Turkish prison. Zach Efron, but he he's Z A C Zach. So that's a little different. Zachary has a Z A C in it. You know that it just shortened I, it. I, I understand that. Okay. Anyway, We're moving on. <laughs> Uh, he, Zachary goes to this prison. He does meet this guru, uh. but Zachary dies, and the guru takes his place. Oh, so and poses as so Zachary. in the book it was never him. In the book it was never him. Oh my god! And there, that so been there's so much better. There's actually a scene there's later like a on, twist on top of a twist, where okay. uh, the guru is actually sprung from the Turkish prison in the, like the second to last episode, yeah, and brought in and confronts uh, Solomon yeah. and. Uh, like get, does this weird psychic thing where he, uh, he has Solomon like have a memory of his own son that will help him and, like reveal some hidden secret. Yeah, and he starts talking to him as if he was Eddie Azard's son. And I thought they were going to do that twist that they did in the book. That uh -huh. it turns out Malak was not Zachary; he was just pretending for some reason. Uh -huh. And this guy was actually Zachary. No. But it turns out they they pulled that back at the last minute. I, I suspect there's two reasons why I suspect they did that, and it's just a, it's. Pure speculation, but it makes sense to me. Uh, one, uh, it they thought it would be stronger if the villain stayed directly connected to the heroes. Yes, I can get that. I hmm. don't necessarily agree with that, but that that makes sense. That's a, that's a logical thing to do. The other thing is that having the other guy show up towards the end, like the extra evil version of uh -huh. Malak slash Zachary. Gives us an opportunity right at the end to suggest that there might be some hope for redemption for this guy because we're going to juxtapose him with someone even worse. Yeah, and so and we actually see them fight to the death. Right, <laughs> they f have a badass martial arts fight to the death, and then they do, and it's absurd. Um, anyway, they actually end up rescuing Eddie Izzard halfway through the halfway through the season. Um, good. I'll bet and, that was most inconvenient for him to have been kidnapped and, and uh, shoved into an isolation tank. 
and uh, and Sol- the Solomon character ends up joining the hunt. Yeah. And uh, we go back to that capstone that we were talking about mm-hmm. before. Oh, there was a character we forgot about, and it mm-hmm. was the architect character, who was very briefly helping them near the start of the series. The architect. Uh, yeah, like he was one of the, the main architects of Washington, D.C. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He was hold also on. Oh, yeah. Mason. I forgot that no, character's I'm name. No, I, I forget his uh, name. Yeah, he hold on, he was up. the one who sort of clued them all into the idea that the capstone was actually a map and was going to give them more mm-hmm. clues. He's the one. He's the one you saw in all of the bumpers. It's a map. Um, uh, yeah, I th- uh, hold on. I forgot that character's name. But, I, uh, I, 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 I'm looking it up. Hang on, this is gonna drive me nuts. But uh, the I they got. Uh, I, I love. I love this. Uh, Robert Langdon. Uh, at, at one point along his search, has to go to a cave. And uh, it's this really wonderful fake-looking mm. cave set that they clearly built on the Universal backlog. The character's named Warren Bellamy. He's played by actor Tyrone Benskin, and he's a very good actor because everything he says sounds important. The, no matter what takes, he says, it, it sounds cer- good. It takes a certain kind of actor to mm. deliver ridiculous dialogue with portent. It, Patrick uh, yeah. Stewart is a Pat- king of yeah. this. Patrick Stewart is great. I feel like Ian uh, McKellen yeah. is, is made a whole career off of this. There's in the a, later a, half yeah, of a lot of career, really yeah. talented actors who get cast in these high-profile genre pictures because mm-hmm. they have that talent. Exactly, like, and this guy's really, really yeah. good at it. Tyrone Benskin. Just give him his give him his due. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they uh, they find the capstone because they've gone to a cave and they need uh, uh, Solomon's Masonic ring to unlock a box that has a thing in it. And the most ridiculous part of their search is once they've rescued uh, mm. Solomon, yeah. Sans hand, his, his hand yeah. was severed, so it's in a, a sling. Right. Uh, they find that uh, he's a 33 degree Mason. And they say, that's your clue. He's a 33-degree mason. It's like, well, what do you know in the 33-degree? Well, I've told you everything. Wait a minute. 33 degrees is actually a temperature, but not... It's like in the Newtonian uh, scale. Yes, I have to go back it's to when it was originally when, yeah, made. It's actually boiling. So we have to boil this capstone. Uh-huh. And then it will yeah. reveal its hidden secrets. Mm. There's so much shit like that. Yeah. And it seems so clever in the moment. In the moment. It really yeah, does, and that's all you need. You just, like, so just got to move. What? What? So you, they boiled it, and something appeared on yeah. the thing, and then something appeared underneath the thing, and they gave part of it to the bad guy, but not the rest of it to the bad guy, so they could hoodwink the bad guy. Oh, my God. Uh, and that's when they bring in the guru from Turkey, and he yeah. does this thing. And, and you know anyway. what? Anytime they're doing that shit, mm. it's really, really fun. But as I said, the problem is is that after they rescue Eddie Izzard and Malak escapes for a while, and then we have a bunch of flashbacks, there's like four episodes... Where there's hardly any movement, mm. it's basically like okay, now we're all just going to take stock of how we how the first five episodes made us feel, and I actually like that. And actually, one of the things I like about the show actually is um, when people undergo something really intense and traumatic, it follows them. Yeah, like there's a good bit where uh, like there's like the moment we're just talking about where they boiled the the capstone. Uh, Eddie Izzard was kidnapped and held in a tank full of water. And there's just a little moment where you just see him looking at the boiled water and having a little mini freak out just because it reminds him of something really terrible he went through just a couple of days ago. Hmm. And I like that. There's a, the Nunez gets uh, shot by one of the agents of Leviathan or someone else. I forget. Mal- it was someone working for Malak. And we see him just occasionally have really bad dreams of that guy coming back. Yeah. And just occasionally just reliving this fight or flight, life or death moment that he had. And for, again, for a show where there are no superheroes here, there's a supervillain, but there are no superheroes. Reminding us that they are fully aware of their mortality, mm. that they are genuinely frightened of danger is a good idea. 
And it actually makes a lot of the more action sequences or, you know, death traps or whatever, it makes them hit a little stronger than they would, even in something like National Treasure, where Nicolas Cage has that movie star quality. Mm. We haven't really talked about the actor playing mm. Robert Langdon, Ashley Zuckerman. Uh, mm. Ashley Zuckerman is really well cast. He, he's well cast. He's, um, he's like a... a- He's like a cute B.J. Novak. Uh, <laughs> Take that, B.J. Novak. I mean, B.J. Novak is plenty attractive. But okay. Just, uh, I, I admit, I like kind of, kind of crushed on this actor for a little, like for the first few episodes. I, I buy it. I yeah. totally get it because he's he's he's, he's like, that kind of like nerdy quality. He's but, handsome, yeah. but in like uh, uh, I like have like leather patches on my like tweed jacket. Yeah. Kind of uh, way, you know. Like you just know that like as he gets older, he will somehow. Whether or not he ever smokes it, at some point he will acquire a pipe. <laughs> He'll have one of those old-timey kind of curvy pipes and will just sort of right. hang out of his lips, and he's going to look great. And, I, I, and I've seen this actor before because yeah. he was actually the evil sheriff in the Fear Street movies. That's right! Uh, and you'll yeah. recognize him from something. I yeah, forgot uh, about that. Yeah. yeah, watch the Fear Street movies. Those are all so excellent. Good. But uh, yeah, he, he plays sort of a villainous character. Didn't... Like, good as, like, a sort of a sniveling villain. Here he's, like, a little bit more professorial, so, yeah. um... Uh, yeah, I, th- I think he's pretty good. I feel like uh, he's not given enough moments to really shine. I think... I, I like I think that, the, though. I like, the, I like yeah. that he's not shining. That he's... I, I he's, a, he's a... He's a... He's, he's the guy that you bring in uh-huh. to... Um, there's a moment in The Devil's Rejects. Okay, where uh, they I'm following you. But there's a moment of devil's. Re- there's there's like a corrupt sheriff who is ostensibly following the Firefly family because they did terrible things, but mm. gradually becomes more violent and corrupt himself just by being in proximity to them. Right. And at some point, they realize that the Firefly family has been using as their alias references to movies. Yes. And this is set in like the 1970s. There's no internet. They have to bring in a film critic. They essentially bring in Gene Shalit. They bring in Gene Shalit, <laughs> who's like one of the greatest of all the credit film critics. My God, he had a shtick. Gene Shalit comes in and he says, and, "Okay." And Gene Shalit is still—he's like a hundred now. He, he's still alive. That's the yeah. last I heard. Uh, G, this Gene Shalit character comes in and he says, "All of their names are references." To Marx Brothers movie. Mm. So I have assembled for you a list of every single character name the Marx Brothers ever used in any of their movies. If you find anyone using these names, those are your guys. That's the Firefly right. family. So if you see like someone checked in as a, as a, at a motel named Rufus Firefly, which is where they got the name mm. from, that's the guy. Uh, Gene Shalit, 96 years old. Oh my God. Good for him. Mm. Anyway, that character... There's the character you would normally bring in briefly for a moment and then get rid of them because all they were here was to give you a little bit of exposition. That's Robert Langdon. Mm. They took a small character who would normally not get his own movie and gave him his own book and movie. He's the nerd who explains some exposition. It's like if you made um, a a spinoff of The Silence of the Lambs, but it was all about the entomologists who explained about the moth. (laughs) But it it was a whole mystery that was specifically about entomology and you know what that's a good pitch <laughs> i want to see that movie and i like it i like when you make movies about people who don't normally get movies so nerdy indiana jones who is not good at the action stuff mm. is for me a little more interesting in theory than indiana jones yeah, in I, practice no indiana jones yeah, is uh, a much better batting ratio yeah. average 
than Robert Langdon does, at least I, in the movies. I, but, yeah. I liked Robert Langdon as a character, yeah. uh, and I, I feel like they could have made him like a little bit more up. It's a little bit too downbeat after a while. Mm. Um, yeah, I can see that. I, I, I liked, He's going through some heavy yeah. shit, though. I mean, like I, I understand that, but this is also a. a a TV show. We don't yeah. want to just revel in the sad parts. I agree. You, you could, Which is, I think they do yeah. in the second half of the series. Yeah, you, I think you it could have it down. A, yeah. You could have a slasher movie that's like eight hours long because after every kill, they have to have like a funeral and a mourning process. Mm-hmm. No, we got to keep things going a little bit. Um, no, I'm with you. I'm, yeah. as, as I said, I think it's padded in the second half and they padded it with just depression. Yeah, yeah. Um, so all, all the padding kind of keeps the show kind of low. I feel like the Kate character uh, doesn't match him very well. She no. needs, She also needs to be a little bit more energetic. I yeah. feel like the cops hit just the right note. Yeah. Because they're kind of on the outside a little bit. The the, the mm. CIA agent and the actual beat cop yeah. are... Nunez are, and Sato. Nunez and Sato are kind of coming at this a little bit from the outside. They have their own fields mm. of expertise. Nunez is, is a lot more daring. He'll just follow a guy. Yeah. Uh, so I like that character for that. Um, but yeah, like right in the middle of this, we have these two characters who are the least energetic characters. And I yeah. feel like that's a little bit of a, a flaw. Yeah. And, 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 and also, Eddie Izzard is also pretty muted as well, which is a, an unfortunate use of Eddie Izzard. And, and Eddie Izzard's a comedian for goodness sake. Just l- let her be funny. Yeah. Uh, but uh, another uh, problem is there's too many flashbacks. We, yeah. we learn more about the uh, relationship between Solomon and Robert Langdon in flashbacks, uh, sort of how the, the kids got to know each other in flashbacks. they're a little confusing. There's a few yeah. where I wasn't entirely sure that it was a flashback. Like, until, oh, like, Ed, oh, Eddie's back. Oh, oh, no, wait. Oh, are they still together? Oh, they're not still no. together. Oh, that was a flashback. Oh, sh- okay. Okay. Yeah, like they don't do uh, any, so they don't the, give anyone a different haircut or anything yeah, the, that just sort of indicate that it's a flashback. And I feel like occasionally a, it's a, little confusing. a lot of TV writers are maybe a little too afraid to do like an exp- line of exposition because it's a little yeah. clunky now people yeah. recognize it well, pe- people don't uh, like uh, people believe in uh, uh show don't tell show don't tell which fun fact it's not a law it, well a it's not a law b it is a piece of writing advice that was encouraged by the cia <laughs> and that's true but the make c- a robert langdon film about this i know right the cia was a you know like uh there was the whole uh, you know uh Hollywood blacklist and they were afraid mm. that like Hollywood was spreading communist messages in all of their movies any movie that was about sharing they were like oh fuck that no 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 mm. uh, so uh, th- th- actually the the United States government had a plan to encourage the teaching in colleges and other writing classes etc that showing not telling is better because when you start telling people things then you start spreading clear ideas yeah, you have to communicate visually, uh, and and I I understand on a very basic level. Uh, show don't tell is a way to encourage people to communicate things visually rather than with dialogue. And indeed, you can be, communicate a lot that way. And it's very economical. And back in the silent era, that was pretty much how you had to do it. But the thing is, is that books don't necessarily do that. Books can digress for extended periods and actually just discuss ideas constantly. But the there's somehow we got it into our head that movies and television shouldn't have a lot of expository dialogue. It shouldn't have people actually conversing for long periods about things that we do not actually see. And granted, some people don't do it well. Some people don't do show, don't tell very well. Mm. That doesn't mean we stop trying. So I'm not opposed to movies and shows just telling us stuff, provided that you're doing it interestingly and what you're saying is of, is of meaning. Mm. So in this case, and this is, again, The Da Vinci Code did it very, very poorly. Because there was nothing driving it. 
So it was just really dry exposition. It was like auditing a class. Angels and Demons did it really, really well because you had to process the information really, really quick in order to move on. Mm -hmm. So the first half of The Lost Symbol, when... You know, time is of the essence. We have to save Eddie Izzard. We don't know what's going on. We have to race from here to here to here. All the expository dialogue goes down smooth. <laughs> and then in the second half, where it seems like, okay, we might have defeated Malak. We're all just kind of coming down off of our recent trauma. Mm. We're not even sure if we want to continue this. And there's a scene where Kate's just like, fuck it. Let's boil this thing. Let's just yeah. let's just literally just like... Put it in a boiling tank. It's, yeah, and it's just a, a square, clear box with bubbles in it. Yeah, but like, but based, no, it's, not, it's not, not the boiling tank. We're talking about... I mean, uh, she's talking about incinerating it. Oh, like, yeah. What if we just incinerate it? What if we just make it so that no one can ever solve the puzzle? Wouldn't that solve all our problems? And they're just... But aren't you curious? Yeah. yeah. So like I, I don't know. I guess they were like afraid that like having conversations then would be even more boring. And I'm like, no. The problem is that all of the action has come down. There's nothing driving it anymore. So being talking now would be just as bad as being flashbacky now because both of them feel like we're just spinning our wheels. Yeah, I guess so. It does pick up a lot in like the last episode and a half because we got to wrap this fucking thing up. Yeah. Malak is Malak is. Sorry, you didn't. Well, I was gonna make it another point. Oh, but sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Um, no, no, go. Ahead. Uh, Something that's missing from this show, um, you know, while they're spinning their wheels, mm. I'd be okay with them spinning their wheels if it were like in a cop show uh, or like just any other ordinary police procedural. Mm -hmm. If there was like a, a vital home base, and we mm. ran into this a lot in certain shows, there was a, a really uh, actually kind of fun spy show called Whiskey Cavalier. That oh yeah, that was fun. On that was yeah, a fun kind show. of light. It's very yeah. character driven spy program. Basically, just like spy show with a lot of sex and surprisingly good action sequences for network TV. And yeah, and the, the central uh, central conceit was the two characters were like trying to work out a romance when they had very differing views of romance. He was yeah. he was a romantic, she was not, and they had to reconcile that. Good chemistry. It basically yeah. worked. Basically, it just wasn't successful. Um, something that uh, was actually very vital of that show was they had a bar. Yeah. They, they, they it would was always, their cover. They, they had a, the cover was they had this bar. It was their front. And uh, yeah. they would just meet at this bar and they would reconnoiter. They didn't spend enough time in that bar. Mm -hmm. I feel like they should have like they should begin and end every episode in, in like mm -hmm. the home base. Yeah. Now, that's a little bit more of an episodic show. They had like miniature stories throughout. Uh, Lost Symbol is one of the, the arc shows, and this is a big, actually, general problem, I, I feel, with the season-long arcs, is that there aren't locations we can return to a lot to get our bearings. Yeah, touchstones, there, yeah. There's the, and there's not a lot of uh, notion that the characters are doing anything beyond what's vital to the story in the moment. It would yeah. be great if... Robert Langdon was doing this and still had to st teach class and still had yeah. to go to a class and yeah. maybe that would unlock something for him or he's busy this episode mm -hmm. and that's why we're following these other characters. Yeah. The idea that uh, an ensemble is all working simultaneously is now lost. Well, because because it's structured a lot more like a movie where mm -hmm. there's a state of normalcy and then there's an inciting incident that makes everyone sort of leave. Mm -hmm. Whatever their status quo was, yeah. and then at the end they mostly revert back to status quo, but they've they've changed and some yeah, of their my, circumstances uh, have changed. My my, this is a complaint I always heard my mom make whenever yeah. we left a movie, a romantic movie, a horror mm -hmm. movie, didn't really matter. Uh, whenever the inciting incident happens, the characters aren't seen at their jobs anymore. Yeah, it's like I'm they just going to go, go back to work. It's like 
there's not even a, a phone conversation. Like I'm skipping work today or, oh yeah, I was at work today. Nothing like yeah. that. Just we've forgotten, we've been late, we've laid the status quo uh-huh. and now we're interested in the story outside of the status quo. Yeah. And uh, my mom was always frustrated by the fact that, you know, people have lives in between these stories Like well. it's a, sometimes it makes sense because it all takes place in one night and you never have to get back to work mm. and it's not kind of irrelevant. Yeah, but So I feel like yeah. because of the way a lot of modern TV is structured, everybody's mm-hmm. sort of at breakneck pace the yeah. entire time, there isn't a sense as to what these characters would be doing were this not happening. Well, again, yeah, exactly. And I'm, I'm actually agreeing with you entirely. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that, like, you know, because but because the show takes place actually over a you know, decent amount of time. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not just over a day. It takes place over, like, a week or two. It's, it's like two weeks. Yeah, yeah. give or take. Um, there is room for people to reconnoiter, for mm-hmm. people to fall back. And we do it, but there's no sense of consistency to it. And it makes it feel like everything's kind of breathless. But this is episodic television, we don't want it to be constantly breathless because the idea of a movie is you establish a status quo, something changes, and then that's exciting, and you do it the one time. Mm. Episodic television, even even if you are if you aren't binging it all at once, mm. even if you just break it up once, like you watch five episodes one weekend and watch five episodes the next weekend, you're getting your bearings again. Yeah, each episode is a new beginning, and we want to get this sense that what's happening in each episode is new and exciting. And if every episode is like that, none of the episodes are like that. Right. And so that's why you do have, in the X-Files, oh, we're back in the basement with Mulder looking through his filing cabinet with his poster says, I want to believe, giving you a little bit of setup, and then we get on a plane and we go on our mission. This is why we're constantly going back to the library and Buffy the Vampire Slayer to research the monster of the week and chat about it. There's... Yeah. There's a place where the the characters can gather, like a neutral yeah. location. Yeah, and uh, that's that's something, especially in a, a an exposition driven. In information heavy show like the Lost Symbol, mm-hmm. you need that. You need the library. It really helps. Uh, and there's no library, and that's yeah. that's kind well, of well. There problem. is, but so it's like, like a different one every episode, exactly. and there's there no needs, consistency. Yeah, yeah, there needs to be a place where all of these people can meet. And I understand, you know, for the like reasons of conspiracy, there's bad guys after you. Well, we couldn't have a regular home base. And that's, Except you kind of do. You do yeah. keep going back to Eddie Izzard's house anyway. Yeah. So Who why not? Shit? Just do that. So it's fine. Uh, that, that's kind of a problem. Um, I agree. It's not. Anyway, it's not uh, the big climax is yeah. uh, Zachary. Yeah. Has been uh, making some deals with Leviathan to get a secret weapon that they have. A sound weapon. A it sa- creates yeah. vibrations that Which, kills fish. Based in fact, uh, that's you know, true, World yeah. War Two. They were like they were studying sound weapons. And the and it's, actually, you can look at this like online. There are like pictures where like okay, if we put a bunch of ball bearings on like a drum head mm. and then we vibrate it at certain frequencies, you'll see the ball bearings like form a pattern yeah and that's kind of cool and you should look at it it's neat so the idea is that he's figured out that if i can you know like how like three of these like sound weapon devices you know how like uh hundreds of years ago the masons were like eventually they'll invent sound devices and then we'll make a whole like uh uh, clue that'll require those which we have the the idea is and this is based on a lot of like uh various ancient mystic mystic practices mm. uh, that the world and the universe uh, is vibrating well yeah. and everything vibrates at a slightly different uh, frequency so sure. like a sonic oscillators and vibrations can uh, can un- unleash like sort of alchemical processes right and uh, the idea is uh, the Masons had all that information, but they didn't have the means to produce these frequencies right and uh, now it's 2022 uh 
Leviathan found uh, a means to do this, but they kept it secret because they're keeping this secret. And Zachary has been going about, you know, killing people and doing all of his shenanigans, trying to get a hold of Mm. these weapons Mm -hmm. because he needs to arrange them in a gigantic triangle, kind of around the uh, the Washington Monument. Well, yeah, have to go to the, they have to go to the base of the Washington because they have to. At first, they think that the final step on their tour is the like main Masonic Temple in Washington D.C. But then it turns out actually we need to go because George Washington was a Freemason. We need to go to the base of the Washington Monument, and there's a secret catacomb under the Washington Monument because of course there is. Mm. And they go down the Washington Monument, and Malak like martial arts fights his his friend and uh he his sister's arm gets broken and then he heals it with his mind and a whole bunch of shit is happening yeah. and meanwhile the the sonic oscillators like fire up and yeah. this little pool of water with yeah. columns around it begins to vibrate and we see patterns emerge yeah. on the surface and of it the seems water. like oh my god malak is gonna ascend and then robert langdon shows up and says hey i solved the problem i solved the puzzle the puzzle led me to a little fucking cabinet down here, and there's a King James Bible in it. Boom! Every fucking thing was just leading us to a symbol of a fucking religion. Mm. And I'm like, okay, hang on a second. A, not a satisfying ending. No. I'm, I'm fine with the, it not the, being him the, getting uh, superpowers. I'm fine with that. The epilogue is actually makes it more interesting. The, the yeah. epilogue helps. I'll give you that. But in the moment, it feels like a trick. Mm. It feels like he has just picked up a Bible and like from wherever. Uh-huh. And he's just going to like try to trick Malak into doubting himself. Yeah. But it's not. It's actually the thing. He actually finds this Bible and it's like, okay, so wait a minute. You're telling me. That the Freemasons <laughs> created a secret society within the Freemasons that would use deadly force to prevent people from unlocking a secret and that they would create death chambers underneath the Smithsonian that they would use like deadly gas on strangers in a mausoleum that they would give like random terrorists weapons of mass destruction that they would do all of this fucking shit. To protect a Bible. Which, by the way, like... I mean, it's a nice-looking Bible. The binding is fancy, but come on. And you would think it's like, okay, well, let's look at this Bible. Maybe there's another clue in the Bible. That's what I thought. No, nothing like that. Just a fucking Uh, Bible. And and it's the King James version of the Bible, too. It's not even like the original version. The the King James version of the Bible um, is... uh, there, there's something about it where, uh, mm. and and this is something that, of all people, Jack T. Chick introduced me to. If you know, <laughs> Jack, Jack T. Chick is uh, God's cartoonist. Uh, <laughs> uh, Jack T. Chick belongs to this very strange sect mm. of Christianity that is, you know, incredibly dogmatic and incredibly judgmental. It's very, uh, you know, anti-queer and, you know, and su- super prejudiced. A lot of fear-mongering. Uh, yeah, a lot the of fear-mongering. Is, you know, it's it's yeah. super anti-Catholic. It fears, like, yeah. Baphomet. It hates Halloween. And yeah. he writes these little uh, comic books. You've probably seen them scattered around yeah. uh, that a, these tell like, these, un- like, little Christian parables. Like, cheap newspaper. They, they almost look like flip books. They're really very small and dinky. Yeah. And every single one of them is about how, like, yeah, just gonna go celebrate Halloween with my friends you know it doesn't hurt anybody and then that person goes to hell and then the devil shows up and uh, he's like appears over the shoulder yes haha trick or treat that's doing my bidding every little sin is the biggest sin in the world (laughs) I I loved the one about the Freemasons because it shows somebody like praying and Baphomet leaps out of their back (laughs) 
Baphomet's like this giant iguana thing. Uh, nice. Uh, it, yeah, they're 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 just like in kind of insane, and I, I have every issue. And uh, <laughs> I, I you can actually like go to Jack T. Chick's website and get like the whole set. So oh I did God. it once. No, they're they're in a box in my closet, okay. but uh, hidden away from the world, your secret shame. I, I read them all too. I, bet you I, have. I, I wanted to I wanted to know what, what the heck this Jack T. Chick thing was, but the idea is that the King James Bible uh-huh. is the correct version. Huh? Like there's a there's been you know many 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 Bible translations mm. and you know different books have been left in, mm. books have been left out. There's the apocryphal mm. books, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. It's been rewritten uh, in order to be more racist, depending on who the people exactly, in political exactly, charge at yeah, that time so, wanted people to be racist towards, so they could the, uh, contain power. The idea of leaning on the Bible as like you can't treat the Gospels like they're gospel. Essentially, uh, <laughs> yeah. there, uh, there there's a lot of history to that book, and you know the actual looking at it like authorial intent is really important when you're reading the Bible. Uh, but this idea that the King James version is the correct one is something that Jack T. Chick introduced to me, mm-hmm. and that those particular words in that order in in English uh-huh. are the only pure way to read it. Uh-huh. You've never, and that all goes into a lot of this Freemason stuff, this sort of symbology, because it's all very Christian, it's all mm-hmm. very religiously derived, right. And, you've never uh, read so, Shakespeare until you've read him in the original Klingon. And uh, there's even rumors King James and Shakespeare were buddies. Uh-huh. There's rumors that, that Shakespeare, Shakespeare wrote the King James, Bible. The King James Bible or yeah. at least helped write the King James uh-huh. Bible. Uh, you know what I'm going to say to that? Sure. Uh, it's, it's, if it, it's fun, I don't know, man. The, the prose ain't that florid. It's I gotta fun tell you. to believe it's, it's... Yeah, Shakespeare was much more exciting when he was writing plays, but you know, here he is writing a Bible. He has to be a little more stead. I don't sure, know, right? yeah. I'm sure he sold out. <laughs> he sold out for King he James. He sold out. I'm just, listen, I'm just writing, also, ad, I'm writing ad copy to pay the bills. It's not really my passion. Well, there, there's also rumors that he was lovers with King James. Well, so, of course uh, yeah, he was. It, Shakespeare got around. Yeah, uh, you would too. Hey, how art thou? Uh, <laughs> That's from the TV series Will. Yeah, uh, we, we like about t- a young and sexy William Shakespeare who invented things like prequels. It's unbelievably stupid show, yeah. and I kind of dug it. It um, was fun. It just probably wasn't worth making a whole show. So out of it. throwing a King James Bible at this guy uh-huh. is like proof that the conspiracy is continuing to go. So I was sure they were going to do something with the Bible in that last minute. Yeah, and, uh, and they. That they didn't nah. is really frustrating yeah. until we get to the epilogue. No, so they, they, yeah. they, they throw the Bible at it. Uh, he doesn't fall into the water. He doesn't get superpowers. Uh-huh. Uh, I kind of wish they did. Like, it's I kind of wish he'd at least try. I wish, he'd, I wish he'd said, fuck it, I'm going to try anyway, and then it just didn't give him powers. Yeah. And then that would have at least solidified that plot point. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like, wait a minute, but really? Because it seemed yeah. like everything else was working. Why wouldn't that work now? Like and, there, there was a scene in, in uh, the movie Wonder Woman mm. where... Um, like she was, she was a warrior. She fought, yeah. fought for peace, and was out to destroy all of war in the form of Ares, the god of war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she never saw Ares because Ares was a shapeshifter to her. Yeah, and so it's like that. I think that guy's Ares. Danny Houston and, plays a villain in that movie, and he's a warmonger, mm-hmm. and she thinks Danny Houston must be Ares in disguise. Yeah, yeah. And uh, by the end of the movie. Uh, there's this really wonderful moment where she finally corners this guy and Mm. he's just a guy. Yeah. And I really hope that they had left it there. Yeah. That, wait a minute, this is sort of like 
me trying to stop war was actually just perpetuating violence. She could learn a really important lesson. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like war, war, war is actually is, much more banal than having evil gods is, perpetuating it. War is not like one person scheming. Mm. War is a tendency in human nature. Yeah, like, and all of that and, would that been, we cannot really fight. We can only deal with. So when you get to that moment, turn the movie off, and yeah. it's good. And, yeah. then, and then, of course, there's another 15 minutes because it turns out Ares was real, and they do a big yeah. CGI fight, and it's all really stupid. And, and, yeah. The movie, the movie loses a lot of its. Yeah, like I love that movie, but the 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 ending is not the good part. No, it, sadly, it kind of no. undoes a lot of what's interesting about. I don't the movie. think it ruins it, but man, it would have been better without a lot of that crap. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm with you on that. So yeah, so it seems so like they're if, leading if there up to something that super clever. Where like, yeah. oh, not not even some clever. Like clever. he falls into it, and the the machines turn off. Yeah. And he emerges from the pit, and is just like, oh, oh, shoot. I've wasted Sorry. my life. Yeah, yeah it's <laughs> like, like basic. And honestly, and at that point, he'd be like so defeated, he'd basically give up. He'd just give up. I yeah. feel like the fact that he didn't even try mm. feels weirdly out of character and, and unsatisfying. And it was leading up to the fact that this was supernatural because we just had the guru character sort of like mm. invade Eddie's mind. Uh-huh. We'd see we the had, guy like expel bullets yeah, from his expel, body and, and heal immediately. And he had just like, healed his sister's broken arm and she was astonished by that. Yeah. My arm is actually fixed. Yeah. So it's like, wait, maybe there is something kind of supernatural going on in this yeah. show. That's not what Dan Brown is about, but wouldn't it be great if they twisted it for the TV show? It would have been kind of neat. So, but instead they just, they cop out, they refuse to give any definitive answers and it all ends with, uh, there's two little epilogues in particular, well, there's three. There's the quick one with uh, Robert Langdon and Kate where they say, okay, we're together, but we have our own lives, so I'm going to go do my thing, you do yours, and we'll talk in a while. And it's just kind of noncommittal. The good bit is when he's just sitting on a park bench with Eddie Izzard and Eddie, and Robert Lane is talking about how that's like kind of deeply unsatisfying the yeah. whole Bible thing it's just a Bible and Eddie Izzard points out you know there's a lot of symbology in the Bible yeah there's, there's a lot of, lot of codes uh, there's a lot of there's, there's a, a lot of history there's like, a lot of like hid, weird translations hidden, hidden words and yeah. n- numerology and, and, yeah. and yeah and so Robert Langdon realizes oh yeah I really haven't I've been focusing so much on disbelieving the religious part of the Bible that I wasn't really looking at the historical text of the Bible mm. and I wasn't treating it like a thing to be decoded like I've treated literally every other thing on this show uh-huh. and so at the end when he gives like a speech to his class and they leave we see him crack open a Bible and like crack open a pen and like, like okay I'm gonna start and yeah, yeah like, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to decode the bible and that's kind of fun and then the very last thing is uh, Sato comes up and well, says and, and then there's the second season there's tease, a, there's a yeah. second season tease and it's like hey there was a big explosion in Europe and we need a guy who knows a lot of symbology and, and I don't know if that's shows him a symbol and we don't get to see what it is I like, know that one kind of this was put on the wall which, which like, feels like okay we haven't decided what book we're going to adapt in the next one <laughs> well let me look up because Dan Brown didn't write that many books no he didn't and, and the the idea of the series initially was that it was going to be a prequel to the movie, so they probably didn't want to jump into mm. the Da Vinci Code or Inferno so the, or uh, Angels and Demons. The Robert Langdon uh, novels in order. Mm. He wrote yeah. Angels and Demons first, yeah. then the Da Vinci Code, which is 2003, yeah. then The Lost Symbol. They're all out of order. Uh, and yeah. then Inferno, and then uh, another one from 2017 called simply Origin. Yeah, that's and probably that, I think where, that's they where they the, the gone. second season. But you never gone. know. The TV series Hannibal. Uh, was originally all set before the events of any of the Hannibal Lecter books. There was Red Dragon, Silence of the Lambs, Hannibal, and then Hannibal Rising. And the idea was before Red Dragon, there were uh, times when Hannibal Lecter would help uh, uh, FBI agent Will Graham uh, solve other serial killings. 
and great idea for a show. Let's watch them do that and have Will Graham gradually realize that the person he's working with is also a serial killer. Great idea for a show. Mm. But after a while, they started like running into this thing where we have to progress the show. We can't let this just be a procedural. At some point, Will needs to notice. Hannibal Lecter needs to manipulate things. People need to get closer to Hannibal Lecter and maybe figure it out. And eventually, they started adapting other parts of the novels out of order in a weird way. So, like, yeah, so it could, like the first half, fill of, out the story you're working on right like, now. They would incorporate yeah. the good parts of uh, the good parts of Hannibal Rising, of which there aren't that many. Uh, <laughs> Hannibal Rising is not a good book. There's some good prose in it, but uh, 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 Thomas Harris didn't want to write it. He was told basically by Dino De Laurentiis, we're going to do a movie about the origin of Hannibal Lecter. Uh-huh. And if you don't write a book, we'll do it without you. And Thomas Harris like, okay, I guess I got to write this fucking no, book. I, Otherwise, I they'll take was, it away from me. That was true with uh, Michael Crichton in the sequel to Jurassic Park. As I heard well. that like too, they, yeah. they, he, he wrote the book with the movie in mind. And indeed, the book is actually a little harsh on the movie. Like there's the things in the book that are commenting on things that only happened in the movie. Yeah. It's pretty fun. But uh, yeah, so Hannibal ended up like adapting parts of the novel Hannibal and parts of the novel Hannibal Rising out of order and then culminating in its final, the, the second half of the final season with an actual updated adaptation of Red Dragon. And they finally got back around to the thing that they were allegedly a prequel to. And instead of having it be like, we kind of just surreptitiously led into either the movie Red Dragon or Manhunter, mm-hmm. which is the earliest adaptation of Red Dragon, we just did it ourselves. By the way, that their adaptation of Red Dragon fucking rules. Richard Armitage is a really, really great villain of that show. That show's great. Anyway, I digress. My point is that there was definitely freedom to get back around to the Da Vinci Code eventually if they wanted to. If this became a hit show, they would probably, and especially considering the movies were dead and they were never, probably never going to do another one with Thomas, uh, Thomas, with Tom Hanks uh-huh. and Ron Howard, they probably would have just gone back around and just made this the core franchise. And I would have been fine with that because I like the cast. And even though the series really ran out of steam in the second half, it's nothing that couldn't be fixed in the future. So I'm going to say it right now. I actually think the lost symbol was canceled too soon. I, um, I like I like the, the I think the premise works better uh-huh. for serialized television than it does in, in, in the movie is fine, but it's so easy to screw up in a movie. And I think if you can avoid making it feel padded. Yeah. I think if you can have shorter seasons, like six to eight episodes. Or just 30-minute episodes. Or 30-minute episodes would be fine. I mean, I would prefer it if they did, like, the BBC thing. We'll do, like, six-episode seasons. There you go. You know? It's like one... It's like the prime suspect thing. It's yeah. like one yeah. four-hour miniseries. Yeah, like, it's longer than usual, but we don't need to pad it. We could just yeah. put in all that we want to and then move on. Especially considering you're on streaming. Who fucking cares? <laughs> just make it as long as it I, needs look, to I'm, be. I'm sure there's advertising I'm problems. I'm sure there are reasons need, for it. They need to make a certain amount of show. I appreciate that. There are other ways around that, I'm sure. But anyway. Um, so, yeah. I think there are things to fix in the second season. But mm. I like the Dan Brown mold. Uh-huh. And I think that it, with the, you know Angels and Demons is fine. But I actually think getting back around to the Da Vinci Code and telling it better can be done. Yeah, that's that's like season three. We're gonna yeah. do, we're actually gonna do the Da Vinci Code. I would this time. I would yeah. say like do it in season like do Origins in season two. I haven't read it. I'm sure it'll be a perfectly good mm-hmm. series. And then get back around to the Da Vinci Code in season three. Awesome, mm-hmm. do it. Um, so yeah, I, I think it was you know too you soon. know what you've sold me because I, mm. I actually don't think this is a very good show. I think, yeah. like I said, there's there's no vital center. Mm-hmm. The characters aren't very energetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, the story is uh, like drags along through the second half. Like there's, you could actually pick things up a little bit, but 
all you need for, and this is true of any pilot, it's true. Mm. It's really frustrating when you describe shows this way. It gets good in the second season, mm-hmm. but what but the, that's got to be okay. It's got to have an opportunity well, to improve, here's the thing. right? That first season that you're telling mm-hmm. people to avoid uh, has to, at the very least, have promise. Yeah. It has to have an interesting character, an interesting premise, or an interesting setting mm-hmm. that's keeping somebody coming back for when the show becomes good. Yeah, uh, it's not like you have to suffer through a lot of bad television to get yeah. some good television. We, we've all seen like uh, like a comic book mm-hmm. or any sort of serialized media where you're not interested, you're not interested, and you're just on the verge of quitting, and then you hear about they're doing something else in the next station. Like, wait, they're doing that? Fuck it. All right, I'm back in. I got to see how that's going to turn out. I'm very curious what's going to happen when, like, Superman teams up with Ambush Bug. I don't know. Like, I just... <laughs> I, I'm not going to miss that. That sounds interesting. I was just on the verge of leaving, and you got me back. At least I'm curious to see what you're going to do with it. Hmm. So, yeah, I think I think there's definitely enough room for, to improve here, and I don't think... I don't think the system is broken. I just think they need to tweak it. Yeah. So... And that's, something that, that's one of the difficult things when you do an entire season all at once... As opposed to the network television thing where you shoot like six to eight episodes, it starts airing, and then you shoot like the next five episodes while it's airing, mm-hmm. and then you take a break and you can sort of reconfigure things and you shoot the last half of the season. You're making the show while people are reacting to the show. Yeah. The show is not done. The show is not completely in the can. Very difficult, if not impossible, to change without doing expensive reshoots at the last minute. And even yeah. then, you're probably through it all on a, on a streaming service at once. So a network show can adjust itself in midstream. Mm-hmm. Oh, so six episodes in, they're not digging this. Okay, the next six episodes, we won't do that so much. That's true. You can kind of correct yeah. as you go. So here, they can only correct after the season is done, but hopefully they'll acknowledge that we really ran out of energy in the second half of the season. We cannot let that happen again. That's And that happened with the 24. People forget that. that um, the first uh, season, yeah. 24. Uh, amazing series, 24. It's mm. really fascistic, but it's amazing. <laughs> Super duper, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's basically like... You can, oh, no, you it's, can, it, we have to torture these people. Yeah, yeah, because otherwise, the bad guys win. Doesn't that make us the bad guys? Shh. Anyway... The first half of 24 took the, took people by storm. Everyone was like, what the fuck is this show? It's all in real time. There's tons of cool action. Like, this is like, it's it's like watching, like, a Jerry Bruckheimer movie every week. And it's totally breathless and really exciting. But the problem is that they, it feels like they weren't even confident they'd get a full season. And so the second half of the season, the whole thing got lost. There's, like, literally a subplot in the second season where the mom gets amnesia and oh, the, the, yeah, and, the amnesia thing. And then the daughter gets like, like lost lo- in the in gets the, like lost in like Griffith Park yeah, yeah. and has to fight a puma. And that has nothing to do with anything. Mm. And you're watching it, and I'm like, oh, did they not have enough? Is is this is this premise only good enough for one half season of television? Mm. I don't know about this. But then it, it comes together pretty well in the finale. It's worth checking out. And then the next season started with such a bang. You're like, okay, as long as you don't do the puma thing again, I'm I'm in. And then they mm. then they made it work. Yeah, that second season is actually pretty good. Second season 24 is fucking amazing. The first season shows a lot of promise, especially in the first half. Uh-huh. So I firmly believe that the Lost Symbol could easily be like a 24 type thing where they'll figure it out. All right. And then I think the cast is strong enough. You don't need to bring everyone back. You basically just need to bring back Sato and uh, and Langdon. 
the only ones who have to come back for the next one. I, I would I want to see Nunez as well. I would like to see him as but, well, but yeah. it's, how, do you, how do you get him in there? Is it going to be true. organic, you know? Uh, but we're, I, I like the actor. The mm-hmm. character is the question, is how do you bring him back? And I'm sure they'll figure out a way to bring Kate back eventually or try to give him a new love interest and pretend Kate never happened. I don't really care. Um, that's just no, how that's just how, that's just, just how shows work. Or how about just no love interest? That's I would be fine, fine with that yeah. too. I don't, my point is I don't really care. I want more adventures. Mm-hmm. When the show was fun, it was really fun. And it was not fun. It was okay, but I wanted to get back to the fun. And when they do, it's fun again. So, yeah, cancel too soon. Next time on Cancel Too Soon. Uh, so here's the deal. Suddenly last season was supposed to be a September event. But we had actually always planned to do something a little different this season. And segue suddenly last season into our uh, yearly Scary Tober event. So that all of the horror series that we reviewed in October, at the very least most of them, were going to be shows that were recently canceled as well, but in the horror genre, of which there's mm-hmm. no shortage. So suddenly last season will continue through Scary Tober. And then the show that uh, uh, people requested in our poll on the Patreon page, which was for Why the Last Man, mm. we are going to hang on to that just a little longer, and we're going to do that right after Scary Tober. Yeah, and that, then we'll do a few more polls. Holding in, back on that, we'll one. do a few more polls in November uh, to make it up to you uh, because we know that's that's putting the brakes on that for a while. Mm. But the next show we're going to do is a show that was very recently canceled, and it was something that I'll practically every single person we knew messaged us <laughs> saying, <laughs> "You're going to do this." As soon right? as the news was announced, yeah. So the next episode of Canceled Too Soon, we're going to get to it as quickly as possible, Whitney. Uh, we're going to because this one wasn't me. Uh, we are going to. Well, look, it, it's I'm, half I'm the a, time it is. I'm, I'm half the time it's true. me. Half the time it's me. I admit that. A, a little bit of an explanation. Yeah. I'm I'm sitting on a jury. Uh, yeah. For uh, a film festival, you have and, a lot of stuff, to and do. I have a lot on my plate. So no, no, I, I get apologize it. For that. When you're on when you're on a jury at a film festival, you have to watch every single movie at the film festival, yeah. and that's a lot actually. And you should take that seriously. I'm glad you are taking that seriously. Yeah, in fact, I, I gotta yeah. go home and catch up on like two more feature films. Yeah, tonight. which is which is one of the reasons why we've had a lot going on behind the scenes. Some of it positive, some of it not so positive, and that led to a big delay. And we're not happy about it, but we're trying our best mm. to get you as much as we can. Um, so next time on Cancel Too Soon, we'll do it as quick as we can. We're going to get to Resident Evil, and we have some cool other stuff coming in the pipeline as well. And then in a few weeks, we'll get to Why the Last Man. We will not skip Why the Last Man. I want to watch it as much as anybody. So thank you, everybody, for listening. If you want to talk about The Lost Symbol or anything else we discussed in today's episode or just anything you want to talk about, you can always email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Yes, uh, send us an actual physical letter. We like that. Uh, mm. To P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Send us an obelisk covered in puzzles. There I you watched go. a new Hellraiser <laughs> recently, and I want a puzzle box so bad. I've always wanted a, a lament configuration. <laughs> you, I just, just, just buy them. They're, they're they're not, I want a working one, though. They don't really oh, have a working okay. one, you know? But um, do, do you want it to also summon Cenobites? or? I'm not opposed. Anyway, <laughs> at least I at least wanted to. I, I had once, and then oh. I left it with you, and you ended up messing it up. I had a Rubik's cube that looked like the Lamech configuration, yeah, yeah. and I was trying to keep it like in place, so it only like occasionally twisted a couple of times, oh. so I could twist it back. And then you ended up just turning it into a Rubik's cube. I'm so, <laughs> so, I'm so I no sorry. longer looks like the Lamech configuration. So I, and I've I've it's, never been able to solve Rubik's it's, Cube. It's, so. Well, <laughs> unfortunately, neither have I, Whitney, so I don't uh, have that anymore. Anyway. Well, well you're, no, you're no danger of Cenobites. I was saving you. <laughs> you know, pain and pleasure are <laughs> indivisible to Cenobites, so really, is it so bad? Anyway, 
Uh, you can send us stuff and we'll might read your, read your email or your physical letter on an episode of We've Got Mail. We have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. And there you can listen to this show and all of our other new programming without ads. It's awesome. You get to have it without ads. Uh, we also have a lot of exclusive shows there, including uh, our show about the Academy Awards, which has a new episode coming pretty soon, hopefully within a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a show where we review every single Star Trek cover. We do commentary tracks. We just released one for Dracula. We're going to do another one this month for Morbius for some reason. Uh, I don't know how we got talked into that You can vote for stuff uh, We have a vote uh, pulled up now for our next episode of The Iron List We just did the best movies that start with the letter F We have another poll up for another one we're going to do this month There's a lot of stuff over there We have online hangouts, it's a ton Well, We're going to have a horror trivia night as well Later in October for our patrons at the $20 tier So if you want to join at the $20 tier You can totally do so and join us I'm going to write a bunch of horror trivia questions And we're going to test you on your knowledge It'll be fun <laughs> anyway, um, I think. Th- oh, and of course, head on over to patreon.com slash saltcatsoap if you want to get special designer soaps designed by my incredible partner, M. Lapis da Silva, and occasionally myself. I have a few ideas in the soap department as well, but we craft soaps. These are high quality designer soaps. Uh, people who are subscribers in September are getting our Halloween pack, which includes uh, a 3D werewolf soap with a glow-in-the-dark moon. Neat. The werewolf's like springing out of the soap going, rawr. Uh, very, very cool. Uh, it goes uh, goes what? It would go, rawr. Okay. Yeah. yeah. If, 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 it, if it could go, it would go, rawr. Uh, and then if you have the two soap a month uh, uh, deal at Salt Cat Soap, uh, and it's U.S. customers only, sorry about that, you would also get our glowing ghost soap, which is a little ghost, and it glows in the dark. It's really cute. Um, so there's that. Uh, thank you, everybody, who subscribed to Salt Cat Soap, and we'll have new soaps coming every single month in the future over at patreon.com slash saltcatsoap. I'm pretty sure that's everything. Thank you. Oh, on Twitter at Critic Acclaim, I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Now that's everything. Thank you, everybody, for listening. That is a wrap. We will see you next season. Oh,